Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast. And this week we are going through the third week of the Rugby World Cup games. We are looking at the epic clash between South Africa and Ireland that happened on Saturday at, at Stade France. And we're going to be looking through some of the other big news stories, the injury to Antoine Dupont. We've got um, a lot of pressure on Australian Eddie Jones after their loss to Wales. And yeah, just a lot of things are happening in the rugby world. It's myself, Tyler, and Cooks this week. Cooks, how are you doing? Charles, welcome back to the from Europe in the World Cup. Um, yeah, I'm all good. Jeez, um, what a weekend of rugby. I think one of the best oh, stretches for a while in terms of quality of games. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, but how was your trip? Are you all well rested? Did you, having been in, involved in the World Cup, seeing it face to face, how was it? Yo, guys, if you can, go to a World Cup. But I mean, obviously... It helps if it's in France as well. But yeah, I had a great time. Um, loved watching the games live. I, I thought, you know what, in general, things were quite decently organized. Like we had the Marseille game after the England-Argentina game and we saw what happened there. So we went there quite early and it was quite nice there. Like, yeah, I'm I'm Mr. Planet Everything. So like... I'm that guy, we were going with a group of friends. So I'm that guy in the group of friends saying, guys, we're going to get there two hours early, actually three hours early and make sure that we get there all relaxed, not, nothing to rush into, no lines, no nothing. But yeah, the, the, just seeing fans from all over the world was awesome. Like even on the flight to Paris, it was just like, it was Welsh fans, Aussie fans, Fijian fans, um, obviously Springbok fans as well. So that was quite cool. And yeah, just interacting with the rugby world was, was great. Yeah, um, it's definitely an experience that I'll never forget. It was an awesome thing to be a part of. Um, yeah, Cooks and I were discussing that, you know, I don't know, have to get, I don't know, like a, a, a secure bubble or something like that if, if we want to go to Australia 2027 because of all the wild animals there. I'm, I'm not leaving South Africa to go to World Cup to get attacked by a python. Like, because it happens here. You know, I got, I'm in risk of it here in South Africa. And I can't leave to Australia. We're basically go to Jumanji and then in, in order just to try to watch the Rugby World Cup. So, but I think I'm missing, I'm missing this year's one. So I'm going to have to take one for the team. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I wish like cricket, like rugby had like a, like a cricket versions of it, like a champion's cup, like, <laughs> like in the middle of the, <laughs> in the rugby, rugby calendar. I just go like, oh, get the world, get all the teams together somewhere in England. And then, you know, go in there for two weeks, a small little tournament. Then I will go. But yeah, I think I definitely, I, I can't miss another World Cup. So I think Australia will have to, I just probably stay at the, uh, the like the like the Sydney Opera House. I, th- I think it's probably secure there. That will be my plan. Eh, who knows? Who knows in that country? Quick, <laughs> um, I think before we get into deep rugby analysis, we have to analyze one thing. Um, it's really been in my head, in my head for since Saturday. But <laughs> I think it's 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 cool, but also so annoying that like Ireland has zombies as their song. They've obviously taken it from Munster and all that sort of stuff, but geez, it sticks in your head the whole time. And that poor video of that guy, that rugby pass caught from, from South Africa that was contemplating his life and the thousands of rands that he spent to watch the box lose. Like that, that was a lot of um, Springbok fans on Saturday. No, hundred percent. They probably... Like, they have to hate the Cranberries now. That guy's got no time whatsoever for the Cranberries. <laughs> he hates that song. He hates the band. It's just, it's just like, that song is always going to remind him of, like, of, of, of heartache and just going to France and seeing the box lose. 
but it's an incredible song. I, I mean, the way they were belting it out on Saturday was, and some mm. of the videos I was seeing on social media was incredible. I think for us, I mean, it is hard. We have Shosho Loza, Sister Pokina. We do, I think, yeah, we do need to find a way to get our own sort of songs and sort of our own, like, we've been preaching this for about a year now. So even, the, even in the URC, we've been preaching about this. Like, we need songs. We need, mm. we need cheers. We need something to do. Like, we need, or adopt like a, like a rock song, a, a popular song, just anything but Sweet Caroline. But, but um, we need to <laughs> find uh, like a song that we can also have. Because, I mean, like, I ever saw, but now the funny thing is, tell you, you see the tweet, I saw a monster fan that says, as soon as this rugby world cup ends, remember this is Monster's song. So you, you can go back to singing your own yeah. songs. You go back to the club side. <laughs> just don't get carried away. Yeah. No, but uh, I think it is amazing. I think, yeah, we just, we need, we need like, or one Guijo. It's easy enough for like everyone just that, that they can sing along. Just one like, that, mm. that comes on. Like, you know, like when you play England, for example, like they just sing um, Swing Low, like from the first minute. And it's just, it doesn't matter whether like it's still nil nil, they still want to be carried home. Like they're still like, I know it, it. It sounds even better or worse if you're losing to England and it's like they're like swinging there with like two, two minutes to go. And you're like, yeah, okay, we've lost the game. So we just need one Guijo that we can all just be able to pull out whenever. The, the only time we actually do sing songs when we sing Ole Ole when the hackers on. That's only that, that's pretty much the only time like <laughs> the, the book galvanizes a country in, in in song to actually like do something is when they was like playing go sing Ole Ole. Man and. That really is it for us. The only thing that you forgot to add, Cooks, which seems, it sounds like the World Cup, like I was at the stadiums um, and I could hear it even when I'm watching. So I think the World Cup has like a victory song for each country. So like when you, when you win, they play a particular song. So obviously for Ireland, they've chosen Zombies. In South Africa, they've chosen Galagata, which is obviously fun. Um, if you've been hearing it for the last 20 years, and I, I never knew the French were fans of um, Sean Pollock. <laughs> Big fans of Sean Pollock. No, um, AP was saying that like it's rugby heritage um, that um, Ireland can sing like Fields of Avonlea and um, Zombies and stuff. It's also our rugby heritage that we've got in Galagat and got awkward white people dancing to it. I still think like we need to put a tender. That, that, that song only should belong to Cricket Now in Kalagata and Sean Pollock. It's like, or should I like, just give him all the rights? Like, here you go, buddy. This is your song now. Like, if, when, if you want to use it, you need permission from you. You've got to move on from Kalagata. I've said this many times, and to Bettina, but problem is now, like, the, all my white friends love the song. They've, they are obsessed with the song. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> it's their song. Now, for the next 15, 20 years, we're going to go through what Sister Bettina become the new Kalagata now because of because of this yep. mess now. Oh, man. Just want to say a good <laughs> joke. Oh, like a good, there's a, no like a hymn we can just steal. Like, you know, like there's some, you know, in this, oh, the Scottish fans will sing, or Welsh fans will sing Bread of Heaven. Like, can't we all yeah. come together and pick our own, like our favorite hymns from school and we all vote and be like, okay, cool. This is the, this is the hymn we're going to sing during the Bok <laughs> games. Like, surely we can all do that. You know, I mean, surely all we can things, find something. All things bright and beautiful. Yeah, hundred percent. That's that, that'll, be, that'll be our song. <laughs> we are struggling in this area. No, I mean, I mean, tell her we, we, we maybe... can change. We can change how great our art to how great our arm. You know, what I mean? we, we can be creative. <laughs> we can find ways. No, we need to. We need to because if it wasn't, um, 
if it wasn't um, zombies that they were singing and absolutely nailing, it was also um, Fields from Avenue, which is an awesome song. Like, I get, like, emotional hearing it. And, like, every time Island sings, and especially now in the last, like, five, ten years that they've been good, like, you know you're in a test match when that crowd is singing it. So, like, we are... Obviously, the Europeans are way ahead of it. Like, I was also in the Italy versus... Um, Namibia match and like in the middle of the game Italy would just start singing the national anthem which I think is so cool but I'm also thinking you can't really do that with um, Kosekelele because it's more of a hymn like all of their anthems are pretty much like almost like war songs or revolution type songs I was just like you know you can't really you can't start that in the in the middle of a game like how France has started <laughs> their anthems in the middle of the game so yeah we we in high school, I'm sure most other high schools did this as well. We had a thing called shouting practice on like, I think it was on a Wednesday at break. The whole school would have to go down to a field and we'd all have to like get out shouts and cheers and songs all sorted. Like we need that. I think we should have done that at Heritage Day. Everyone in the country, go to a field <laughs> in whatever town or city you're in. Guys, we're going to learn at least one quidro before everyone leaves. And then we'll have two or three songs Love a, maybe a Kosa Zulu song, like a, maybe a Sutu song, and then an English Afrikaans song. That'll be the three songs that we sing at any occasion that we know that everyone, black, white, whatever, knows at least 90% of the lyrics to. Like, this needs to be the solution. And then give it like hymn books, like, you know, like in the Bombing Army, like sort of. They're like hymn books. So just in case you don't know the words, this is what you got to follow to. No, I agree. So that's. That's the next step of evolution as Springbok fans for the next World Cup cycle. Yeah, we'll we'll have to. I think we'll just have to put that on Rassi Rasmus's list as as director of rugby. <laughs> like we need to need to get a, a proper song. Sister Bukina is not going to cut it, unfortunately. Cooks, we've delayed enough. We need to now dissect this um, the victory of Ireland over the Springboks, um, thirteen points to eight on Saturday. A breathless game, an absolute epic um, between two strong sides. You could see that this was a clash between number one and number two in the world, world champs versus the team with the longest win streak, best defense versus best attack. Like there's many little like contrasts that you have there. And all, I mean, Ireland, I mean, the, the game started very tight. So Ireland had a lot of pressure on us, but we turned over about five or six of their first three lineouts. And then Springboks came back into it and then Ireland scored the try before the end of halftime. And then in the second half, they started to stretch away with the penalty. Oh, well, sorry, I think Colby scored before that. Then they had the penalties and then obviously the, the last minute stuff happened with um, the Springboks trying to score and then weren't able to in that um, roading wall. Cooks, uh, yeah, I think you won't, there's not too many games that I think were better than this game. Um, on Saturday. Um, yeah, what are your general opinions about just the quality of the match? Sure. Like you said, breathless is actually the best, one of a great way to describe, but it's just it's so tense, brutal. Um, a, a t- like, it was like a test match, epic. Oh, man, it was just incredible to watch. And just um, like, there was no one, or there was nothing working harder than the ice bath on Sunday because Jeep, his bodies mm-hmm. are hurting after the hits. There was, Dished out and um, just just a very good game of rugby, Tyler. I think I think the big takeaway is what I saw is that the Springboks, Ireland, and probably France are sort of slightly pulled away in terms of the three favourites. I think the All Blacks are just slightly slightly in, in behind, and 
Um, I think we've seen that the Springboks and probably Ireland probably look the best this World Cup so far. Um, I think Ireland, for them, probably passed a big test. I think we've always wondered how they'll match up, how they'll front up physically with those, with those like Leinster. You saw it like Larish, uh, what Larish held to them. Bulls to a certain extent last year in the URC semifinal. Munster as well this year sort of kind of wanted to see what what Ireland would do like when they were put under the cosh physically. You know, I thought the same one split. That's, that's what we're going to see and obviously in, and see how Ireland would respond, how their attack would sort of respond to the Springbok defence. And I thought, you know, like I, I, tweeted, I, I tweeted the other day that um, the Ireland actually won the game in the gutter. Like they, so they went into that mm. dark place where the Springboks sort of wanted to send them to and Ireland went in there. And I think for them leaving there with a victory, because I do think, I look, you look at this game, um, to like, like, like overall, before you dive deep into it, like if we had won on Saturday, Ireland would probably walk away going, geez, we have, we had enough chances to miss it. We missed six line outs. Like, and for them in our own 20, in, in our 22, they probably think, man, we, we know that's a big striking port for us. I said, piece so good. Like, we missed six line outs. They also had chances as well to score that they, they probably didn't take. They'll go, man, there's times you could have actually gone for the, Going for the points instead of the corner because they were very aggressive going in the corner. The same sort of thing with Primo sort of leave with Ezra, like the 11 points that we left out. There's chances we missed. So I thought you said nicely, Taylor. We ever lost that game, there was, an, there was enough to leave them. It's like, oh, actually, it's not all doom and mm-hmm. gloom. We, we had chances to win it. But I think for me, the biggest takeaway is the fact that Ireland actually did go in the gutter. They sort of went in the trenches. I mean, they won a game where they were, where, where they got, where they, basically got given 30 dominant tackles. Their ruck speed was doubled by the Springboks. And then plus the six lineouts that they missed. And they still managed to find a way to win that game. That's huge. That is absolutely massive for them. Because it's one thing if they've mm. won playing the utmost base, slick, slick, slick. And you're thinking, man, the box can still find ways to disturb them. My, my concern is that if you deal with them in the final, they're, they're, they're probably going, guys, there's still, a lot of more, there's still a lot we can actually improve on. We can still get better yeah. and better and better. So I think that's a big takeaway for me, like from an island perspective, from the Springboks, obviously the missed chances. But I think the Springboks, yeah, they also know like we can live with these guys. I'm a Springbok fan. I'm still very confident that we can actually beat Ireland. But um, yeah, Tyler, what, a, what an absolute battle. What did you think of that game? Mm. No, Cooksy, I think you nailed it. Um, I think, yeah, maybe we can start with the Springboks, but just quickly on Ireland, we can maybe round back into the point about Ireland. But for Ireland, they've now passed in the last two years, the All Blacks away test. Um, they beat France. They won a Six Nations Grand Slam. They have a 16-match uh, win streak now, and they've beaten South Africa twice. And in this last game, they had at least a 10-minute period where they did start to open up and start to play their own game. Um, and then that pretty much won them the game last time. This game, as you said, they won it in the trenches. They, I mean, does Rusty say we we play in the gutters or we take them to the gutters? And that's what they did. And that's, I think, the more concerning thing. I mean, yes, both teams can take some positives and can say they can be better. But the more concerning thing is that Islands has shown that they're relatively comfortable with the Springboks if the Springboks want. If the Springboks take it there and they're not able to get their attack going, Ireland can still beat them, which is a concern. Um, yeah, I think for the Springboks, there's a few key things to talk about. Um, I think there's obviously one that's been 
taking away on social media, but I don't want to actually go into that. But look, I think let's start with the breakdown. So I think this was probably the losing of the match for the Springboks, unfortunately, and the winning for Ireland. Like, look, we know how good the likes of Kaelin Doris, Josh van der Fleer, James Ryan, uh, and Tug Byrne are in the ruck. And their ability to disrupt, to muck up, to turn over, to maybe through maybe the not the most legal or illegal ways, like to get themselves in the way of a, an attack building is epic. And they also, it seemed like there was a targeting from Ireland that they saw that, okay, the Springboks are starting to play a bit wider with Mani Lebok in, in number 10 and they're starting to play more off 10 and going a bit more to the to the to play with width. Like there's even numbers that say that the Springboks played 20% of the of their possession out wide. So more than 30 meters from the ruck. Like Springboks did that for 20% of the time. Ireland did it for 4%. I think most people would have thought that there would be the other way around. And Ireland seemed to target those wider rucks. They kind of did what we usually do to teams that try to play wide against the rush defense. It's like okay, go wide, we'll tackle you, you have no support there, we'll turn you over. And that's how Ireland was able to turn over the Springboks 18 times compared to South Africa turning over Ireland 12 times. I don't know if there was an actual fault in the racking. You know, there's maybe some things that maybe some individual players could have done here and there, but I just think Ireland's racking was just a lot better than the Springboks. And I'm not too sure what the fix is because... Yeah, maybe it's it's a matter of balance because I think maybe in hindsight we could have maybe like let's say start, like had a, a a fetcher maybe in 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 the mix for just to help us without defensive rucks. But yeah, I I I'm not sure like what the what the fix is for the Springboks. But Ireland I think won the game less less so with the goal kicking, but more so in the collisions and the rucks. I think also a big thing, Tiles, I think in, in rack time, I think on Ireland, I think what most stars try to do with the Springboks, I think they're so concerned about the, the other forwards coming around the corner is that they'll sort of rather wait for a loose carry and then sort of try and pounce the ball, but try to get numbers on their feet so they can actually try and stop the big ball carriers coming around where Ireland was like almost throwing in, getting numbers in every single breakdown and sort of and, start, and trying to force in one extra forward to come in the ruck and force one extra clean and slow the ball down that little slightly more. Because you are right, because the box obviously did play slightly wider than normal. And, it, and, you, and you could sort of probably got a glimpse of it in that first minute from the first kickoff and five that moves on the blind side and, and pass the ball out. Yeah. That the Springboks will probably look to play a little bit wider, which they have done under Marnie. So you do run the risk of of obviously exposing yourselves at, at, at drug time. And Ireland are, like the Springboks, one of the few sides that actually got Yes, I've got the private number seven in Van der Fleer, but they also have got lots of guys in the background who are also good fetches. Bundy Aki can, can fetch. James Lowe came up, with a, came, up, came up with a steal. And then you have centers like Henshaw and Gary Ringrose who might not steal the ball, but they're exceptional counter-ruckers. So it's like, mm. it's almost like where the, where the same with the box, where our turnovers are actually like, we've got the, pretty Malcolm Marks, like the, the Malcolm Marks, the kids of, but like the Sears are exceptionally disrupting racks. The Peter Stairs to Toy is the same. And I just felt like also, I, th- I thought maybe that game we definitely missed a Malcolm Marks. That's one of the games yeah. where, we, where you do miss a Malcolm Marks. Because I think you look at the starting side, for example, th- there was not, you would say, an out and out ball, ho- a ball hawk 
in there. We now see as good the breakdown, but he's very good at rucking in terms of counter rucks and and rucking our own ball. Kitsy is also is a good fetcher, but Kitsy works so well in tandem when you can actually, without marks, you can isolate him out of the game because you're actually only worried about him per se. And I thought Marks does add that, that extra fetcher and he's so good at it as well. So that's why I'm, for me, I'm still surprised Dwayne didn't start for that, for, just for that reason, to have, to have that extra, to have that fetcher in there. And then I thought Ireland just, which is the ability to just constantly just throw hands in there. Also just force the box, just add another rack, add, an, add someone else in the rack and sort of, whenever they went wide, they just kept throwing numbers in, kept throwing numbers in. I thought, and you are right in. The breakdown is normally where the spring box dominate. It's always been one of our biggest trends, our ability to wreck opposition's breakdown on attack. And then, and then, and then obviously the few turnovers and, and how well we ruck. I think people forget what's, how well we tend to be good in our own ball at the breakdown. So for Ireland, you know what, for them to it's actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a, it's a massive gamble and a big coaching masterstroke from, from the Ireland coach to actually attack us at almost at our best. At, instead of trying to negate our, weakness, our weaknesses, they're actually like, you know what, we're going to try to beat them at the source of where we actually very good at, where not many teams would want to go down into that, into that breakdown battle with the Springboks and sort of find other ways where maybe sometimes you can just actually control it and rather control the try to tackle us backwards or rather wait for a one-off runner as opposed to... Because I mean, they were basically attacking at every single breakdown. Every time... First carry, throwing numbers in. And the, the few times they caught us out after the first breakdown, and it was so frustrating. You're like, oh, man, how are we getting caught on first phase with a turnover or, or counter rucks? But no, I think, yeah, I think the breakdown was, it's, it's, it's never an element where you think the box will be beaten at, but it was just interesting the, way, the approach that, that Ireland had there. And I think in the spring box, I think it, it definitely is fixed. Fix I don't think there's many sides that can do what Ireland did against us. So it's going to be interesting to see how we negate that. But tell do you think, for example, like without Malcolm, do you think we should have maybe thrown in a Dwayne to start and a Jasper on mm-hmm. the bench just to have that extra breakdown presence in there? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we could have mixed because it seemed like the tactic was first off we'll have the counteractors. So Sia, Damien Dialendi, um, Peter Steff Dutoy. Um, as just people that if Ireland has the ball, we'll just counteract them. Uh, and then the second half would be the fetches. And then that's when Dion Ferri, Marco van Staal, and Guacha Smith come on. And it could have been a bit of a mix. But I think another thing that Ireland did really well was they attacked so narrowly. Like, there was no width in the Irish attack. Like, I, I want, I'm going to watch the game probably tonight again. I'm sure most of the attacks, everyone was the whole 15 was pretty much within 10, 15 meters of the board. And they said, look, we're not going to go out wide and basically do what they did to the Springboks because they know the Springboks thrive on wide ball, which is what Scotland didn't um, do in their, in their game was, or what Scotland did in their game was go wide. And then obviously that's where the Springboks feast on turnovers. So Ireland said, we're attacking narrow and we're going to keep the ball as close as possible. We're going to focus on ball retention. And even if we take our time and, in, in um, you know, uh, getting the ball again and then racking the ball again and take maybe one or two extra seconds for for each rack, we're going to basically almost tie the Springboks into a mistake by going through phases, making them tackle, engaging them in the attack, and then hopefully there'll be a mistake or there'll be some misjudgment that either gives us the opportunity for a try or an opportunity for um, winning a penalty. They seem to be able to grind, 
almost grind the Springboks by playing as narrowly as possible. Now, the Springboks, I think, dealt well with that in terms of attack or like in terms of getting the tackles done and defending, which is probably why that dominant tackles number was so high was because Ireland was just attacking narrowly. But the nice thing about attacking narrowly is that all your players are available for a ruck. So it's almost like, yeah, Marx would have helped, Dwayne would have helped, Prime Heinrich Brasso would have helped, but there were few opportunities where Ireland had someone carrying by themselves or a very loose carry as well. So I think Ireland did especially well to make sure that they attacked in such a way that things were, 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 were like racking was done and like there were always people available to rack. And I guess, yeah, in terms of defensive racks for the Springboks, I think they need to just have the intensity of what they did in the second half. In the second half, they sort of went, okay, two can play in that game. Similar to switch up to what they did against um, the All Blacks in the game in Auckland at the Mount Smart Stadium, where in the second half, they just decided we're going to flood the rucks. And they started to do that. And Ireland's attack was kind of coming together the first half, but in the second half, they almost had no chance. And I think that's the intensity they'll have to play the whole 80 minutes with. And I mean, if you're going to be picking six, seven, eight, ten forwards in your bench, you might as well do that and just sort of empty the, the tank in that way. I think the 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 rucks where we're on attack, that's going to be interesting. And I think maybe if Ireland and South Africa face each other again um, at the end of this World Cup, I mean, it, I just saw that we're facing Ireland in July in the in the Test Series in 2024. That's going to be super cool. But obviously coming to World Cup matters, I think Springbok's plan has to be now to run into the people that are good at rucks. So the old Richie McCaw tactic or David Pocock tactic of we know you're good in rucks, so let's make you tackle as much as possible. So I think for the Springboks in the next game, Tug Byrne, Kalen Doris, those people need to be constantly on the floor picking themselves up again um, in every ruck or in every tackle. Because if they get into a ruck, Doris, sure. I just, I think Kalen Doris is such a great player because his ability when he gets into a ruck to just disrupt things is amazing. Like, He'll just come into a ruck and just almost like just almost go through the middle of it and just make sure that things are slower for five. This is a mess. In his foot. He's and he's so good at the I'm competing for the ball. I'm watching the ref and I will go, I will leave the ball as soon as the ref says leave it. So he almost doesn't concede yeah. many penalties because he does that thing of like, okay, how long are you gonna let me disrupt here? I know I'm probably wrong and you could penalize me, but you're going to say leave it at some point. And then Ben O'Keefe says, leave it. Okay, cool. And, and he's, but he's, yeah. he's, taking about, he's taking about two or three seconds there already. So that's the problem. So like, yes. on the other side, like Ty Bird is doing something. Like, and I think also Ty with Ireland, they break sort of like, I think the Springboks as well, it's the balance of how they can attack a breakdown. I think that's what makes mm. us an Ireland so good at the breakdown. It's not, it's not just like one threat. It's not just like worry about one feature. It's like with the Springboks, mm. like, yes, you have, Titsu is great over the ball, but then it's like, like most of them issue, like what Peter Steff does to Rux is incredible. Like it's also like Peter Steff, Kellen Doris, Mario Toja could have masterclasses just not to disrupt a Ruck mm. without even actually like going for a steal. Like those three are in the world are probably unmatched in just their ability just to wreck a Ruck without even fetching. And then you have the, the Josh van der Fleer who comes in who's good on the ground and Dan Chi in other world. So like it's, with us, it's such a balanced breakdown like defense with the, 
of how they can sort of stop you and how they can just disrupt your ball. I think the, the, that's why I think on Saturday, I, I knew it was not going to be a 25-24 sort of game. It was always going to be a... Because I think both, as, as good as the island attack is and the ball catch can be, is we both, what Ireland's saw in it, they both, we just both, both very good disruptors. And just, mm. I think with Ireland, I think the, the, the slight tweak is they just, they have... They have the, obviously with their tech, I thought the last 10 minutes of each half showed that when they were sort of regained control of the game, found ways to score points. They had that in that lock as well. But you're right. I mean, Doris and Peter Steff yesterday, I thought like they're taking turns, like who can disrupt the most rucks? It was crazy. Yeah, look, that was, I think, a loose forward masterclass um, from pretty much all the Lucys that played, but especially from Doris um, with the rucks. Van der Flair was also good with the rucks. It was also funny, I mean, there's a, that clip going around of Ox um, stamping on Josh van der Fleer, on Josh van der Fleer's hand. Van der Fleer, by the way, played a whole game pretty much with a dislocated finger. Actually, I remember that happening to a teammate of mine where it's kickoff, he gets into the first tackle, and then he goes, hey, Tyler, look here, and his finger was bending towards the try line. <laughs> and I almost vomited. I was just like, this is ridiculous. But he went off oh and Josh van der Fleer to stay on. And Ireland li- likes the holding in a player into a rack, especially when they attack. That's how they create yeah. space for their, their attack to go. So Josh was trying to do that to Ox. And Ox, I don't know if it was intentional or whatever, but he steps on his hand. But yeah, that's... <laughs> Street Moss is shithousery meets more shithousery. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, yeah, I think if World Rugby is looking into it, it should be fair play. Play on. Yeah, it should be fair play because like what because Vanderfee is also is also basically doing a bit of shit housery. And Ox stopped him. So it's like it's fair, it's fair. Like, why is his hand like Josh Vanderfee should have no no call of the Ox at that moment? But your shit house got caught out. Unfortunately, you gotta have a, a nice little and I'm gonna give you your hands a nice little wake up call just to make sure next time you do it again. So like what would I be like, what, what, what are you gonna do? Like, like it's shit housery, they started, and then Ox, it's shit housery was shit housery. It's Shake hands and move on. <laughs> no, that should be the result there. Okay, let's still stay positive, at least on the Springboks. Um, best performers. I'm going to start with Damon Dialendi. Um, I, yeah, uh, unless, I think this is one of those, okay, let's stop playing around with this debate anymore. If you watch that performance and don't think Damon Dialendi should be the number, number 12 for the Springboks, is at least one of the top three at that worst, um, 12s in the world, then you don't know about rugby or you just don't like the guy, which is fine. James Dialendi had a fantastic game. We're going to talk about his opposite number in a bit as well. But he was leading the box um, and, and their charge in terms of just making sure that the Springboks had, you know, as many opportunities as possible to try and, and get themselves into the game. I mean, that first half where he had those three big carries where he took out Gary Ringrose for an HIA. Johnny Sexton's shoulder was falling off the bone after his carry. Like, I was almost, in some ways, it was a bit of a disappointment that we that the box didn't use him more in the second half. I think they could have, I think, gone through the midfield with Damien a bit more because actually when, the, when you watch the numbers or you see the numbers, Jesse Creel had eight carries and Damien had five. Like, it should probably be the other way around. And I think defensively, Aki and and and, and Ringrose are probably up there, but Dialendi and Creel probably are the best defensive um, center pairing in the world. So I had a lot of time for that Doug's masterclass. No, Tyler was proper, proper. Yes, there's those, those two carries in that 
that period. And, and the crazy thing with the first Ring Rose one is Ring Rose did so well to press him because, like, I mean, Fafum, he gave a pass which, which, like, which spent about 64 minutes in the air before he got down to, <laughs> before he got down to, to <laughs> poor Delindy. And then obviously it was a good press from, I think Marnie, it was a good press from Gary Ring Rose, try hitting try, try hit him with ball and all. And then Damon Delindy's like, I'm sick and tired of hearing you being called the new Driscoll. Bah! Have a seat. <laughs> you know, just left in there. And, and, and I thought Ring Rose wasn't the same since when you go back from there, because I mean, like, cheap was like, and um, obviously, what the carry against Sexton, I mean, it was proper. I think you are right. I mean, defensively, it was good. The work rate and the amount of work you put in is like, a, like you said, it was a big statement game of, I'm sick and tired of this debate. This is, this is how it ends. I thought Creel defended very well as well. I thought, I mean, the work he does is so underrated. I mean, especially defensively. And what Creel and what, especially Creel and what Delini do defensively is so underrated in the work they put in, especially against a good center pairing of Aki and Ringrose. And then Henshaw coming off as well was a very good rugby player. I thought they did well to shut them up, but Demi Lindy was an absolute beast. Cooks, what um, players do you want to um, highlight from that a good game for the box? I thought, I thought David Williams was fantastic as well. Yeah. Um, I think, yes, that's one of, his, one of his best games in the box jersey. Um, just, yeah, the confidence he's showing now as a, as a 15 and grand the high ball, I think, oh, geez. I think every game on Damien Williams is like, who am I going to sidestep next? Like someone, he's making like a, <laughs> like a, a Hollis package of like, who's, who am I going to drop next? I thought he was fantastic. He was everywhere. Probably besides Delaney, probably the standout back. Uh, yeah, I thought, I, I thought he was phenomenal. I, I, I agree with what you tweeted. I do, do think we do miss Ville LaRue. I do love the one-two punch of Williams and LaRue. But I thought, Damien, that he was fantastic. I think he's been good this whole World Cup. I think he's had a great World yeah. Cup. I think he's, he's probably been the best back. Um, just yeah, yeah, all three games sure. he's played, he's been, he's been fantastic. Um, and tell our bench, I mean, coming off there in yeah. Ox is, oh, you'll be one of the best scrummers in the world. I mean, he comes on and changes games. Um, Arches Neyman is playing at a level that... I, I, I get goosebumps about that Oak, because, I mean, mm. he almost flipped the game single-handedly by himself, the way, like the, the, the front foot ball that he gave us. Like he almost, the front, coming off the bench, I mean, the line break he made, the, the, the offloads he does, he's playing at an incredible level. And you, you, like, you'd not think this Oak would basically, it's his first year playing the national rugby since the World Cup. Because he's gotten yeah. better and better and better. And it's an interesting case for me. Like, I think I'd love to see him playing 60, 60 minutes. Like a part of me feels like, man, this guy should be playing 60 minutes. I know we love the option of him coming up. I mean, Mossad, I think, once again, Mossad, Mossad rolls out of bed and gives you a 7 out of 10. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, that's <laughs> the sort of play he is. I mean, but like someone like, I just feel like, like, like I said, the pod last week, losing Malcolm Marks, we're losing a world, we're losing, you're minusing a world-class player who, who and, I, and I think in, in Arcus name, when we balance it out in terms of adding another world-class player, because the rugby is, is playing at the moment. Oh, man, like, that guy is phenomenal. I mean, our bench was good. I think, I don't think anyone in a bad game. I mean, I mean besides Moina Box boot. But yeah. I thought we all, everyone, everyone sort of, they're all at about a seven. And I think, shame, we're also going to talk about Lebok now. But, I, I, but like, someone like, like a Damien, uh, uh, both Damien's, Delindian, 
and and Williams are probably at a nine, and then you're looking at uh, Eric probably eight nine. As the bench was, the, uh, our bench coming off again was very very solid. I think what our bench mm-hmm. does it, it actually it, it mesmerizes me every time how much how much momentum and how it's a game changer they are. But what did you think as well? Who else did you have as having a good game? Yeah, I think I think you're completely right, Cooks. Everyone, I don't I don't think there's anyone that had like a five or a four, even though the box lost. And just going through the 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 the, the team quite quickly. I mean, Bongi Bonambi, I think, had his best performance since the rugby World, the last rugby World cup. Like he was busy in defense. Um, he was constantly just shooting up on Irish um, attackers. He seemed to be given that assignment of whoever's on the inside of Johnny Sexton, Malton. And he was doing that as much as possible in that game. Um, his line-out throwing was great. It was a bit of a concern of mine because he's been a little bit less accurate in the last, um, in the last few, uh, in the last few, actually in this whole season, he hasn't been as accurate because He's been having like line out throwing at about 80-odd percent, which hasn't been too good. But he did what he needed to do in this, in this game. Um, Kisov was great. Malhoba actually even had a, a steal, which shows how good he was. The Siakolisi was great. He led the team with four dominant tackles. Like, just to give you a bit of perspective, that literally as a the four dominant tackles has only happened, or four more dominant tackles only happened, I think, five times in Test Rugby this year. So that shows you, like, how good Felici was in terms of um, his, his, his tackling on Saturday. He had 12 total tackles and four of them were dominant. A dominant tackle is basically when you not only stop someone um, as you make contact with them, but drive them back. I mean, that one um, up and under that Mac Hansen caught, and he had... Kolisi and Kitsov meeting him when he got to the ground was brutal. That that was when I was like, okay, I need to phone Discovery Health and just ask them, like, what's the medical aid cover for me? Just on like the secondhand pain I'm feeling from from some of those hits. So Kolisi was great. It's Beth, I think, uh, probably not his best game, um, but a good game for pretty much any other human in the world. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about the James Lowe tackle. Taylor, I, I was put the same. I was about to say, a, a, a quiet Ibn Elizabeth game is like an 8 out of 10 for pretty much anyone else. Yeah. So he, I think um, that was the Squid Rugby podcast was doing like a review of the game and they said like he was in every rack and disrupting, which I think is very true. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, I think there is another level and obviously he was coming back from injury. Um, but yeah, he was quite good. Peter Steve Tutoy led us in tackles. Um, had three dominant tackles himself. Like he was the one, the, the forward that played 18 minutes. Um, Faf de Klack, I think his box king was the best. I don't know about best I've seen from Faf, but it was really, really good. Um, he definitely outclassed Jamson Gibson Park in the box kicking department. Bit of a weakness for, for um, JGP, but the clerk was accurate in most of his kicks. Just a few wild passes here and there trying to play, play the width. But yeah, I think his... Kicking and his decision making most times was was quite good. We'll get to Lebok, but I think in general play he was fantastic. Um, we've talked about Creel, Kudley Ardenser. I think was fantastic. Like I think there's a lot of debate about who the who the wings should be and the wing combination, who the best wings are for the Springboks. I'm now at the point where I say Louis Kudley Ardenser is the first pick. We can argue about the second pick. 
You can argue it should be Colby, you can argue it should be Mapimpi, you can argue it should be Moody or whoever. But Curtly Arnsa, he's now maybe gone above Colby and Mapimpi as I think he should be the first wing on the team sheet. Um, yeah, and then just quickly on the bench, I thought Kwak had a great game. He had a, made a big impact like he always does. Um, Nyakane was also a good partner there with the scrums as well. And yeah, I think that change in height, I think that the props bring when, when they come on in the second half is such a big game changer that I think op- opposing teams should be aware of. So for example, Andy Farrell should have subbed off tight furlong as soon as Ox came on because Furlong is a, is a taller, tight head. Ox is a shorter, loose head. Um, Bielem had a, dealt with him a lot better. So I think as soon as Ox comes on for Kitsov and Malherba comes off for Nyakane, you as the opposition should also change your props if you have especially tall props. But yeah, I think pretty much everyone had, you know, good to very good games. Yeah, I think now we have to turn to the Mani Lebok kicking, goal-kicking, Andre Pollard issue. Yeah, Cooks, there was a lot of talk about this um, on social media post-game. Um, the facts are, so Mani Lubok missed, um, well, he only converted one out of the three of his kicks. Just for a bit of perspective on his kicks. So the first kick, the one he had in the sixth minute, was inside the 22, inside of the 15-meter area. Easy kick, he slotted that. His second and third kicks were actually a, lot, a bit more difficult than I think was given credit for. The second kick, I think, was makeable. It was just beyond the 22 and just inside of the 15 meter. So a bit to the side, should have slotted that. So yeah, fair enough for that. His third kick, which was on basically the, the, the star where the 10 meter line and the 15 meter line meet, that's a pretty difficult kick. I don't think there's many kickers except for Ramos, um, Ford at the moment that I think I'd, I'd be pretty chilled or pretty like certain of that they would make that kick. And then Faftaklak also had two long distance kicks, unlucky with the first one, but on the other hand, it, co- it basically led to the Springboks try. So we can't always say that, you know, the box make 11, make their kicks, they get the extra 11 points because you have to minus the seven points or the five points, I should say, that um, the Springboks scored as a result of the Colby try because Faf hits the post somehow, or it bounces in a bad way for Ireland. So after retain it, they get that scrum and then they go in to score the try. So yeah, there's obviously talk about Andre Pollard starting, that he should obviously take the kicking. And I think Cooks, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, I agree in the sense that, look, Lebok didn't do what he was supposed to do with his kicking. And we need at least 75% kicking if we want to win Rugby World Cup knockout games. So Harry Pollard's probably the best chance in the squad to give us that. Um, but there's trade-offs here because Pollard has only played one, well, 30 minutes since May um, in that um, game for Leicester against Sale. Um, and then in terms of even if Pollard's at full strength, you know, we lose the attacking threat that Mani Lebok has. Because of Mani Lebok's passing and attacking kicking ability, we can play much wider than we, we, we can with Pollard, but maybe that's not the worst thing because we're going to knockouts. We're going to be playing a lot more narrow now. Um, we, I think we, we lose. We also in an awkward place because this new game plan or new way of playing that the Springboks have played has come more or less straight after Pollard left or Pollard got injured last year. So is Pollard going to try and continue with a new game plan? Are we going to go back to an old game plan? 
if we do go back to an old game plan, is everyone else comfortable with their roles? Is there not a bit of confusion with roles and where everyone should be and all that sort of stuff? Like it's, I mean, if the Springboks can adjust basically to a more narrow than a more wide and expansive game plan, like power to them. But that's, I think, is a is, has potential for confusion. I think there's questions about the bench now. So if Pollard now starts, does LeBoc um, go into the bench as an insurance option for maybe the last few minutes if you need um, a bit more attacking flair? Um, do we go 6-2? Do we go 5-3? I would argue you go 5-3. And then the whole debate, because this also has a consequence on um, Willemsa and LaRue. So if we play Pollard at 10, you probably need Willie LaRue to help you with the attack. So Willemsa has played really well. Does he go onto the bench? Like, how do you manage all of these things? So, Cooks, yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot that I've said now. But, yeah, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this Pollard um, versus Lebok debate. Tell us tough, eh? you know. I mean, you know how much I love um, money trees, uh, money, my money, Lebok. Um, it's it, it's hard. I mean, what, <laughs> money the, trees. <laughs> Sorry, I've never heard that one. <laughs> that is and fantastic. Then, um, and um, like, you know, with the, what he does, give the Springboks such a new dynamic, especially on attack and the way we play. It's very, it's, it's incredible. So it, it, it's, it, but it, you can't not mention the kicking, you know, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem that, that needs to be, unfortunately, that needs to be rectified. And goal kicking is something that's probably been plaguing us since the end of last year when we were doing that thing of using five different kickers, basically. I mean, the, it was a free for, it was a free for all of us kicking for poles. We had five kicking, then then Palooza kicking, then Kobe kicking. So kicking has been a problem for a while, and if we are, I think operate, operating at just over fifty percent for the tournament, which is not good. And it's something that going into especially games like on the weekend where you throw away eleven points, it is massive. I think I do. I still main, I still think we shouldn't. I probably wouldn't have gone for the corner for the second time on the half line. I think. I just feel like when, when you have seven forwards, you at least attack the, the Irish at more time. Still, I'm still surprised why we didn't maul as much as we did. But um, I do think that um, you look at you look at with Holland with, with, with Pollard and Marnie. I think for me, it's, I do think Pollard's got to come in. I think it's as harsh it is for Marnie. I mean, I, would, I mean, I believe I believe in him. I, an ideal world teller for me. I'll still start with Marnie and probably look at Pollard coming off the bench. That's, um, I think, the way we play under Mon is, is uh, it's different. But I do hope that, I, I do have a slight feeling that we might, I, I think, I do feel bad that Pollard does get a slightly bad rep of being not as attacking as he should. I mean, he's shown glimpses of the way, he may not attack in a way that Mon does in terms of like distribution and things like that. But Pollard is such a, is more of a ball in hand sort of threat as well, probably a bigger ball in hand threat than Mon Lebok. And we saw the way he was playing for the Tigers, how he opens, how he opens himself up. It distributes a lot better. Chip, chip and chase, attacking the game line. I just feel like when Pollard is confident and he's running at players, and he's, it opens up the other aspects of his passing. Because you can't, Pollard's probably got the best show in going rugby because you can't let him actually run at you because he's so big and, and physically. He's always a threat in the farmers' line. So you always have to sort of mark him. It opens up space for other runners. So... Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting what he does. I just, obviously, we should probably start against Tonga. It's going to be t- interesting to see how he gets through that. But I think I wouldn't be surprised to see us going with Pollard at 10. But I would go to 5-3. I, just, I, I do think that the five forwards we do have, I understand that 
our strength's always been our pack, but I feel like the attack we've got now has improved so much that someone like Marnie on the bench is a massive, a massive, is a massive um, option for us to have. And we have different ways to close out games. And I think that is what we sort of need and have, have those different options to sort of do yeah, to close out games. And so I'd love to see Marnie on the bench, but maybe if, you do sort of really say Williams are coming off the bench or maybe really off the bench with Marnie. So I think that's the sort of option I would take. I mean, I know if Pollard's been put in uh, several positions this week, whether it's 12, 13, 15, uh, Marnie at 15. <laughs> like, apparently, there's Pollard has played, apparently Pollard has played every position in the back line. I saw Pollard at 13. Oh, I saw Pollard in the wing. I saw oh, Pollard playing oh. at hooker, I'm sure. I was just like, I was just like when I saw, obviously, um, <laughs> when I saw um, the Marnie at 15, I was like, we, we saw the Sharks do this. We, watched, we saw the Sharks try this with Colby and Marnie. We saw it happen. And also we have two very great fullbacks already. I'm like, can we not shift any more players out of position? <laughs> like, I just think, Tala, we, either way for me, whether we start off with Marnie or start off with Pollard, I still think you have two great options at 10, whether we want to close games out with Pollard coming off the bench and sort of being the insurance. I think, I remember like a couple of years ago, Gatlin, that, that's the approach he wanted. Remember when he wanted to start Anscombe and then have Bigger on the bench mm-hmm. to sort of close out games. And unfortunately, Anscombe got injured. Uh, I think 2019 World Cup. And I think you almost have to use them, I think, as, as in tandem where Eddie Jones started um, with England where there were games where you start Farrell at 10 and then, and then Ford goes to the bench and then some games you play them both. I think with the Springboks, I think it might be a horses for courses, th- horses for courses thing where there's certain games where you actually got to start morning because you want to give it a good start. Like for all those games, you actually on morning to close the game and, and pull out to start. So I think that's how I would use them. Um, not one at 12 or 15, nine, yo, no, guys. <laughs> like, but it is hard. I think unfortunately, like we have to look at state the obvious that the kicking is a problem and something has to be done about it. Um, that's, and I, what, the reason I do feel bad for Marnie because this is not a reflection of how he really, of, of truly kicks. That's the frustrating mm-hmm. thing, I think, for Storm. I mean, like, I'm not saying he's more staying, but he's definitely not a 37% goal kicker. He's probably in, he's operating at, in like the, the 75, 77, 80s, which also 100 Pollard also. 100 Pollard is not a morning staying sort of kicker. I mean, he's, he also is in that. So yeah. There are times, and like you said, Talaway, Andre Pollard has, oh, it's been tough times for us as Andre Pollard fans. And I think Andre Pollard's leg is his legacy and his and his stature is probably grown by being injured because obviously he hasn't played for a while. And <laughs> he's like, yo, like, like so I'm like, I'm massive. I think when I think what I think what's happened was, sorry to rambling here, what happened was when Andre Pollard went down, we, at this stage, you all knew he was the number one flyer. He's, he's been the number one flyer probably since 2015, with no debate. I think we, we have rallied around Marnie Lubbock and we've seen the change inside of play. And I think it's shown how well Marnie's played for the fact that it's, a, that's a, that it's even a debate and it's yeah. actually a massive debate to see who starts, which is all credit to Marnie Lubbock. Because you all assume that anyone thought that this is Henry's Polo's jersey in waiting. So I think that's the credit I give to Marnie too. But unfortunately, something has been done about the, about the kicking and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm interested to see how the box deal with the situation. Yeah, Cooks, I think it's a complex one. And yeah, I think it's obviously going to be somewhat the making and breaking of um, the World Cup in some ways because 
there's so many other ancillary consequences to this um, decision as well. So, like, yeah, when you look at just how the Springboks went on Saturday, like, there was a lot to like, I think, in terms of just the opportunities in attack that they were there. But, I mean, partly through great Irish defense and them getting turnovers and big tackles and turn and, and rack turnovers and stuff, but partly through Springboks' mistakes um, that we weren't able to maybe execute and, 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 and finish up opportunities because we had um, six um, entries into the 22 and only got eight points. Ireland had 10 entries and 10 points, so it wasn't that much better. But yeah, we need to be much better in that if we want to win. And I think the Ireland game is a big reminder that we are not or we won't always have it our way up front. That, look, Ireland, probably France and New Zealand at full, full, full strength, they're probably the only teams that can live with us at least for a good chunk of the game up front. So they can not leak scrum penalties. They can ensure that, you know, their lineouts are decent and they don't leak penalties from rolling malls. They can ensure that they're not, like, dominated in the collision as well. And they can try to basically keep their penalties below 10, which Ireland did on Saturday. They only had nine penalties. So what's, that means there needs to be a plan B. And I think what the Springboks have been doing in the last year, um, especially post the Pollard injury, is working on that plan B of, okay, we're not going to try get a score from, we're not going to get a, a try from a rolling mall. We are not going to get penalties from the scrum or from um, the mall or whatever, because maybe either the opposition's matching us or the referee is not giving us any credit. What do we do? And that's what we saw with the Chase and Colby try. So, we win, okay, Scrum is obviously going well. We win a penalty advantage. Now, there's a situation where maybe we Scrum again, we try to do a pushover, and either we mess up or the ref messes up, and then that opportunity goes. Like, we saw that Andrew Port and Todd Furlong were able to keep at least solid against Kitsoff and Malherba, for example. So, and then we saw that we Ireland actually won a Scrum penalty um, when their reserve props came on. I mean, the second or later in, the, in that half. But with penalty advantage, we didn't just do a speculative cross kick. We actually executed a really good backline move. Dialendi coming short, uh, Lubbock looping around and then delivering that long pass to Ches and Colby. Like, fantastic. Great move. I mean, yeah. Uh, as much as I completely agree with, like, Pollard's a different type of attacker, but I think one of the things that he's not as good at uh, as Moni is, is he's just not as good of a passer. So even that pass that um, Lebok delivers to Colby, like, I think, I'm sure Pollard can, but it's not as much of a done deal as Lebok can um, with that. It's, similar, it's pretty much the opposite sides of the kicking debate is the passing debate, that Lebok is an 80% passer and Pollard is probably at a 70% passer. So there's that sort of thing that I think the Springboks have been trying to grow. And now it's a thing of like, okay, you you have to make some adjustments when playing with Pollard. You know, he doesn't kick from both feet. He doesn't have that option of that cross kick that Lebok does. He, you know, he's not he's not really good at all with passing on his left. He has to stop to do that. So you can't really play 20% of your ball out wide and 46% of your ball in the, in the midfield. You have to maybe play a bit more off nine and just to make sure that you mix it up a little bit. But using then the advantage that Pollard does give you of him being able to really go up in the game line and, and 
and engaged defenders like like you talked about. And yeah, you know, I think the second thing is, <laughs> I think Andre Pollard through absence has become like a mix of Mone Stain, Johnny Wilkinson, and Neil Jenkins in terms of his accuracy, which is obviously just not true. Like Pollard is a 80% kicker, I think, in decent form. Um, you know, even in the World Cup in 2019, he started badly and then he got good in the quarterfinal and semifinal against them um, uh, in the World Cup. It's not like he was, you know, Percy Montgomery. Like, we also have to, I think, accept that with Pollard coming on, it's, I mean, unless he's obviously on, like, really good form, which he can be, it's not a done deal that we're going to get 90, 100% of our kicks. Unfortunately, Pollard's not Thomas Ramos or George Ford um, or, you know, these other big accurate kickers that are in other teams uh, or Johnny Sexton even. So we, I think we have to admit that we have a goal-kicking issue and it's the one of the few areas that other teams, especially the other top four teams, have a bit of an advantage over us, regardless of if it's Pollard or Monty Leboc. And then... Yeah, I think the consequences for the bench are just very interesting because, yeah, I'm a big Pollard must play with LaRue um, person. So then, yeah, I think that probably means LeBoc and Willemse come on. And yeah, I think it, it means we have to go to a 5-3 split, which has its disadvantages. But I think which goes into another point that I had with the bench is I think in a big game, like the Island game on Saturday, I want to see a Colise and Eben Smith playing 80 minutes. Um, obviously, with the situation that we have now in our hooker department, I want Bongi Bonambi playing 75 minutes or 76 minutes, just like Andrew Porter. So maybe this kind of forces the team into that corner, if, I, if we could put it like that, to go, okay, we're not going to now do a whole new forward pack. Because, you know, as much as obviously Ox and Ache were great, our forward pack of... You know, Ox, Trevor, Dion Ferry, Klein, Mostert, I mean, Klein, Sneiman, uh, Van Staden, Quacha, and Peter Steff Toy was going up against still, Kalen Doris was there, Josh van der Fleer was there, Tug Byrne was there. Um, those are three world-class players already. Um, Dan Sheehan was there, another world-class player. Ian Henderson was there, an experienced player. Um, Philip Bielem is also an experienced player. Like, there was enough quality in that Irish pack that... Yes, they're dealing with a fresher um, forward pack, but they still have enough quality to be able to deal with that. So I think the whole, there's, there's, there's certain teams, which is Ireland and France, I don't think we can overwhelm with a 6-2 or 7-3, or 7-1 split, sorry. So I think we need to just change approach and just go, okay, we'll just have our best forwards come on and truly just try to get impact from Sneijman now joining Etzebeth in the second half or Quacha now joining Peter Steph and Sia in the second half or changing our and front row and all that sort of stuff. And also yeah, Carl, Carl, uh, you, to disturb, I mean, I also think that our attack is also good enough to sort of also be a threat. You know, I mean, I, I don't think mm-hmm. we always have to be reliant on our pack. Like we need to have fun. Like, yes, we always get fun for the ball because our pack is incredible. It's starting all reserve, but I also feel like we're going to be like, I know we're trying to keep the same intensity going for all that hard for all that for 80 minutes, but I still think you have good enough backs off the bench to still hurt the opposition. Because I think what 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 worries mm-hmm. me about, for example, six one and six two, there is no room to change a backline player. Let's say if they're not playing, not, they're not having a good game. You almost forced mm-hmm. to certain because you like for example, if it's Reinach and Vili, you almost Vili's coming in for Willemser. 
with Valencia shifting to 12, it's almost like, it's, I just like, the, I think so maybe it's time we look back at having that extra option there. Like you can have a Moody, you can cover a center and a wing if say Creel, you're going to mix it up and you're going to mix it up and maybe Creel comes off or you're going to move Valencia to, to 12 and Damien can go to, but also we're still having an option of a Labok on the bench, having a 10 on the bench where I think, I do hope we do also make that shift. I do think our attack is good enough to hurt something. I think our backs are good enough to make that sort of impact. And I think sometimes I'm, I'm not being, I don't want to be like come across as reactionary because you've seen the wonders of our 6-2, you've seen the wonders of our 7-1, but I also think, like you said, Tyler, like certain teams, certain teams now know like the way they attack them and they sort of stare it head on. And I think that we are missing a masterstroke when... Oh, I was just going to say very quickly, a 6-2 with Marx and Luoti or Mostert now on the bench with Luoti in the starting team, I think that's a lot different. And it's not disrespect to mm. Jean Klein or Dion Free. Klein's obviously a very good lock. But, you know, he's a little bit of that level below um, having Mostert or Luoti in the team. Dion Free versus Marco Marx at Hooker, obviously that's no contest. But I think we also have to realize that we don't now... With that 6-2, we had pretty much in the top 20 forwards, we probably had 14 of them. Now it's a bit more even because of the injuries that we've had. No, 100%. Tal. I think that's why I think it must come with different type of thinking. Uh, we saw the 7-1, but I think 5-3 is definitely an option. I think for me, I think you need Pollard and Marnie on there. Just both of them on the field at the same time. I mean, not at the same time, or just both of them on the squad. Um, it's going to be, I don't think you can play them both at the same time. I think, I like the, I know people talk about the option of, well, I mean, Pollard playing 12. I like the option of, of Willemsa at 12 in terms of the second half and Willie at 15 mm. in closing out games, in, terms yes. of, in, certain, in certain games. That's the option that I like because I, I still maintain that, I, I still think 12 is probably Willemsa's best position. Um, mm. I like him closer to the ball, but not at 10, but it's still a second pair of hands. And I mean, 15 is amazing, but. That's the option sort of that I like, and then say doing the thirteen and, but, I think yeah I think with my I think it's a great one two punch to have in, Marnie and Pollard or Pollard Marnie. I think I think it's a great one two punch. I think it it makes up losing though. Like for example, like again, just having that extra world class player to to cover for one we're missing one where, maybe now we don't, we don't have the same world as a uh, Trevor Marks, but now it changes to a Marnie and Pollard. So. You might not at hooker might be yes. slightly different. I mean, it's no slight to Dion Free. I think he's a phenomenal rugby player, but he's not Malcolm Marks coming off the bench. But as I think now, instead of having that at hooker, we can shift that to sort of to the back. And I think that could be the little masterstroke that teams may not have prepared for when, when it comes to preparing for the Springboks this time. I think every team is prepared for that one-two punch from the forwards. But now imagine having a one-two punch of Marnie and Pollard, that little shift in focus. I think that could be a little masterstroke that makes a difference. Mm-hmm the box to retain I think because the box to retain Ireland and them it, 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 it's just minor things here and there it's not there's no side that's miles away or or pulling away I think it's it's definitely a 3-4 team race but there's just certain things here I think certain key decisions here or here and there or how they, how they manufacture side. I think that will be the difference between Ireland France or Springboks or New Zealand so many winning in like, in like winning in, in winning this World Cup yeah, I think the problem or the other side of this, though, is you're right. Other teams haven't prepared for maybe, you know, the Springboks going for 
this new idea of a five three split of having three backline players in your in your bench. <laughs> it's so hilarious that now we're talking about this like it's a new innovation. <laughs> Guys, how about having three backline players and five forwards? What do you think of that? Wow, that's a great <laughs> innovation. Um, but the problem also is that the box have really prepared, you know, they haven't, I don't think it's something that they've done too much sort of preparation for themselves. And this is now not necessarily through, yeah, I mean, a, a bit of um, misfortune on the Springbok side, but it's just not something that we have really developed. So, you know, I'm a big consistency, same teams, same 23 being predictable. That's how you win a World Cup. Unless, I mean, even for the Springboks that come in every 12 years to win a World Cup, our best or our World Cup wins have come when we have pretty much the 20, you can name the 22, you know how we're going to play. There isn't too much surprise in how we're going to do it. We just do it at a high level than anyone else. And now, yeah, this is the other side of this Pollard Lubbock thing is, We've now stuck with Lebok for close to 10 tests now. And we've built a game plan around him. We've, you know, we've done as well as we can with them. And I mean, it's not like Pollard is completely new. Of course not. But now, yeah, how do we dovetail those two things together is, yeah, it's going to be very fascinating. And that's another reason why I'm sticking towards if Pollard's in or if Pollard comes on or whatever the case is, Pollard must go with LaRue because and LaRue have great chemistry from, you know, the last, you know, close to eight years they've been playing together. And Lubbock and Willems are obviously playing together at the Stormers and they've been playing together for the last few tests for the Springboks. They must stick together. And then that must be sort of the, how we think about these things from now on, that it's almost a buy one, get one free type of situation. And yeah, it's not a slight on Willems. Like every time I say LaRue should start, people think I'm, saying Willems is not good, but it's, yeah, it's, not, it's not, definitely not the case. It's just a combination thing. And Pollard and LaRue work well. That's how it works mm. when you use post box. If you say someone else must start, it means you think the other person is shit. <laughs> That's, I don't make the rules, Tyler. We don't make the rules. You can't, you're not allowed to say someone else must start because you mean that they are shit. That's, that's the rules. That's how it works. You've got to get to the program. I know you went to Europe for a bit. You're still trying to rejig yourself <laughs> in the system. I'm just telling you, just stating you know the, the rules. They just so when you when you when people listen to this, like when they drag you on Twitter, just know this. I want you what you expect for what you expect. Jeez, yeah. What, not... Sunday morning was fun because yeah, uh, just trying to ask for some nuance in this Pollard Lebok conversation seemed to be a bit too difficult for some Springbok fans. Um, the uh, yeah, so we'll we'll see how that happens, and I think. This Tonga game becomes quite big. Actually, before I say that, another thing that Lubbock does really well, literally to a world-class level, and unfortunately that tweet then had all the replies about Lubbock doing other things badly, but I was just making a point about this one thing that he does really well. Lubbock's line kicking is the world's best. I can't think of another 10 or I can't think of another player that gets as many meters as he does um, with his penalty kicks to touch. He is elite at that. He gets 40 to 50 meters all the time. He's been doing it at the Stormers, and I was like, this is quite cool. This is really nice, and obviously he can do it on both feet. The, him doing it at a Springbok level as well is just, oh, it's chef's kiss, and it also just brings another reason into the whole, like, what, why didn't we do this against, um, Tong, I mean, against Ireland? Pollard, yeah, we know that Pollard likes, likes an overcooked kick once in a while. So, yeah. 
these next few weeks are going to be, yeah, there's going to be a lot of banter about, obviously, from both sides of this debate, if you want to put it like that, about, you know, the faults of Pollard, the faults of Libok and, and other stuff. But yeah, like, I'm going to laugh because it, in all likelihood, it happens at least once every two matches for Pollard. But I'm giving it a laugh at that because, you know, Libok has been doing it so perfectly for the last few weeks that it's one of those things that you remember only when you see it again. It's like when you see a, a cousin or someone that you um, hang out with once a year and you're like, oh, this is so cool. And then you, you, after a few hours, you're like, oh, yeah, that's why we don't hang out as much as we, as we do. <laughs> but you're all right. I think for me, I think like these debates, I think always get a little bit toxic in terms of because you sort of highlight one thing about, about something else or you don't. I think, you know, like it's, we were rooting for the to kick well. We were wanting to do well. And I think, we're allowed to sort of, like, I've always hated, one thing I've always hated is like when you're comparing two players, it, they, they, there's got to be a way of doing it without bashing someone else. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. for example, like, can't be like, oh, his lung kicking's been good. You're like, yeah, but I got kick for poles. Like, we don't need lung kicking. We need, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> for example, like, take away Martin box line kicking, the penalty we got in the half line, and, and, and for him to put us in five minutes out for that mall try. That's an incredible mm. kick for the corner. Opens the whole Ridiculous. game. I'm like, oh, geez. Those are rid-. So there's certain things you got, like, like you said, like certain people with certain strains, unfortunately, yes, we can call things out. I mean, like, like as do you call, I mean, I was going to say something on Sunday, and I was like, oh, this is maybe I had a little too many beers. So I thought, let, let me actually put my phone away. <laughs> Good <laughs> decision. I do, I do feel like we do, we, we try to be as consistent as we can in terms of, I, I, I don't even say it's criticism. Like, we do, we call out, like, yeah, it's, yeah you have to, go kicking at the moment is not great. That's just calling a spade a spade. But, the, but you're allowed to be like, yeah, but LeBoc offers this and Paul offers this and without trying to be justified in that. I mean, Paul is one of the greatest teams you have ever produced in this country, but he has his own faults and we've accepted those faults and that's what he comes with. I mean, it doesn't mean that he's not a, he's not a great player. Bowden Bear is a fantastic flower, but there's certain things that he can't do and it doesn't mean that that takes away from his greatness, but, yeah, I know it's it is frustrating, but but tell her before we, to wrap on this thing, um, before it becomes a full on Springbok podcast. Um, did, like, did you think it was a penalty at the end? I know a lot of people were saying that the ball is available. A penalty, I'm saying that the ball is available and and Benokif score. To be honest with you, I thought it was going to call a lot. I thought you, you, you should have always going to call it a lot earlier because as soon as the, the ball went 100%. down, so it didn't pop. I was like, oh, geez, no, it's done. Then he walked. It was the moment he actually went back around. Just the second angle, I'm like, I'm like, oh no, this 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 is a more down because I think obviously the law is that I know the ball sort of became available, but the law is that at more time, if a more's collapsed, the balls will become available immediately. So, for example, and and, and I thought, for example, like that Ben O'Keefe sort of slightly delayed it, actually delayed it. You almost mm-hmm. got himself into trouble actually by trying to be sort of more conservative, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I know it's, it is harsh. Um, I've been countlessly abused by mates for saying that I don't support the Springboks because I've said, like, guys, it's, it's, it was the right call. I just, I, like, he actually could have blown a lot, a, a lot earlier. Um, what did you think, Charles, before we, before we talk about uh, Anna Jones? Oh, goodness. Okay, very quickly, I have a friend that sent me a video... Uh, a YouTube video from, yeah, um, uh, a legendary YouTube channel called TAS Analytics. 
I'm not sure what analytics they do. I don't know who this person is. But yeah, uh, if you're not aware of TAS Analytics, please let us stay that way. But they basically do videos um, with very thrilling and scary music about all the mistakes that the referees are doing and some big plot by World Rugby to, I don't know, like make sure Ireland wins or something like that. Who knows? So he sent me this video and I told him, in no uncertain terms, I'm not watching this thing. And he said, no, man, it's actually really good. He's being quite fair this time. Like, just watch it for me. Couldn't get through two minutes of it. Um, but yeah, like I, I can very much identify Cooks with that, <laughs> with your experience of friends calling you out because you just, you're not going to agree with them that Ben O'Keefe didn't mess up and in general had a really good game actually, especially with how much I think both teams are doing in terms of pushing the edge of the law and the collision. Like he managed it really well to make sure there's a contest, but it's a fair contest. But yeah, but no, 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 Cooks, like you said, like one thing I do like tell people like, Alan definitely pushed the boundary. So the spin 100%. Box. Like, but so did the spin box. <laughs> do the exact same thing. So it's like, so like, I know the, like, there was a few like 50-50 offside calls, Alan coming over. I'm like, but the box, the box did the same thing as well. Like, I got like, I'm not saying, I'm just saying like both teams sort of play, do push, especially, especially in the breakdown. The box do push the limits mm. aggressively in the breakdown. Some of the, and, and we do get away with it. I think I reckon it's good. And I think, in rugby, it's a sort of, it's become a sport where the better you are at stretching the law, because like you said, there's certain things you can do where you can, like, I can disrupt a ruck Ill- illegally and wait for the ref to be like, okay, roll away, okay, cool. But I've already, like, but I've already wasted three seconds. Like, I'm, I'm in the wrong, and the box do have a way of disrupting at ruck time. And sometimes we get lucky, sometimes we don't. And I go like, so everyone goes like, oh, no one. These teams keep pushing the work. I'm like, we do the exact same thing, and it's like, oh no, I'm gonna agree, I'm gonna agree with Ben Smith. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, when he when he replied to my tweet on Sunday, I was like, oh my gosh, this is remember, this has gone that bad. I remember, for example, like you mentioned the thing when we like we say like the, the box might hit Sexton slightly later. I'm like, but every team does it. Every team hits the team like. <laughs> He's an old extra or the scrum off. Ireland did the exact same thing to Faf. They were hunting him down from behind the rug, tired burning them. Like, every team does do that. I mean, the Spocks, they do tend to do that. I mean, poor Finn does get the, as soon as they pass, gets, gets a little extra hit. And so, I'm like, but I'm, I got like, every team does that. I'm like, oh, no. Like, I'm like, I know we are so, like, defending. Like, sometimes, like, we, if anyone comes from Springboks, it's, but I was like, I, I was like, I was one of these perfect rugby saints, and we push the law. And I appreciate the way the Springboks play. I love, how far they stretch and can stretch the law and how actually tell our thing is how great we are at it as well. Cause mm-hmm. like we all, we all like, see, I'm sorry, sir, Mr. Ref, sorry. Something say. But meanwhile, down there, we're like pushing, putting our hands <laughs> in the cookie jar as far as we can. You know, sorry, sir. We, we're so sorry, sir. Let's, it's, we're, it's not, we're, not swearing, we're not swearing yeah, at refs like um, certain exactly. Irish captains. Yeah, we're not. And then like, we go back to casual nonsense. And like, so remember in our country, we fight. Look, look what we're fighting for, sir. Just let us get away with the slide drug thing. I know it's something a fifth warning, but look what we're fighting for back home. Want to see hope? You want to see hope? Like, I've got like, it's not a bad thing to do that. Like when, when my friends call out like, yeah, but this thing, like, it's not a bad thing. That's how the rugby works. Like we just happen to be very good at it now. We used to be caught out by it for many years. Now we've become really, really good at it. But we're also good at disguising. Like, oh, but we're just good guys. We're just guys from South Africa. just want to play rugby I'm, I'm sorry, Manu. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Like, what other teams swear about it? We just go about it in a nice, 
way. I hope no, I hope no world rugby is listening to this and be like, oh no, we got the memo in these odds. But I just got like, guys, the Springboks are like a fantastic side. And one of the things we're good at is our how good we are with the laws. Yeah, look, I mean, I think we just sometimes get a bit too protective over the Springboks and we just need to get some perspective that, you know what, not every negative thing said about the box is a slight. I mean, yeah, um, a certain publication, I'm not going to mention them here, but they had an article now um, about France disrespecting the Springboks. And this comes from Reda Wardi, the French um, lucid prop. He said that Springboks are a great team. It was a great match on Saturday. Like they played like warriors and they're obviously very like tough guys and great rugby players, but they're not supermen. And then this publication said, um, France takes a subtle dig at the Springboks. I'm like, are you kidding me? But obviously they're doing it for clicks. I completely understand that. But I was just like, this, oh my goodness, we need to really get a, get a hold of ourselves with these things. But yeah, I think just to round off the Springbok conversation, it's one, the question for the Springboks in this four-year World Cup cycle has been two, I think has been relatively twofold. Number one, can you be consistent and win three, four big matches in a row, which they pretty much have to do now if they want to win the World Cup, beat Tonga, and then obviously go through in the knockouts and win three out of three. And the Springboks have only had one um, or two um, winning streaks of four games or longer. This one that was broken by Ireland, we had a six-match winning streak. and had a four-match winning streak last year um, in, in, in the, in, over the test last year. So it's the, the goal is on the Springboks to be consistent when it matters. And unfortunately, they just haven't really been able to do that. There's just something that's not cutthroat for them that just stops them from doing it and being able to be consistent game after game, which is the tweet that Ben Smith unfortunately agreed on, with me on. It's just, there's something that just, there's, and I agree with Ben on that, that there's a reason why the Springboks are 65 or 60 odd percent in their winning, in their winning record in the last few years. And until we fix that, we can't really expect the Springboks to be number one in the world or favorites for, or like the clear favorites for the World Cup because they have all the ingredients, but they just can't really put it all together for some reason. The second thing is, what is your plan B? And we now know that there's teams that can match us up up front with six two seven ones, all all sorts of combinations. And it's always been about, okay, what's your plan B? And that's what the Springboks have been developing. And now this is what's going to be the balance between goal kicking versus having that attacking game plan um, in the next few weeks. And yeah, it's going to be a big test now for Rassi Erasmus. And I think it's going to be a big coaching job. Should the Springboks win from here, it's going to be a, a big and a massive coaching job from Rassi Erasmus because you're not only balancing the likes of Marx, Am, Ludiaka being out, you're also balancing you know, a 10 situation that isn't clear. You're balancing you know, your goal-kicking 10 being having only played like what, 30, 40 minutes of rugby in the last few months. You're balancing between these different game plans. You're balancing between uncertainty in the squad. You're balancing and sort of tinkering and, and tapering so much. And you look at Ireland on the other side, everyone was talking about the 7-1 bench and how it's going to blow Ireland out the water. Ireland just went about their job <laughs> and they did it on Saturday. Andy Farrell didn't even get into a, you know, a war of words about it. Rassi said that thing about Ireland having like... Uh, he said that yeah, Ireland might be South Africa's bogey team, but the World Cups are Ireland's bogey tournament. Farrell said nothing about that. Farrell picked the same 23 he pretty much picks in every game. 
Farrell basically went with a, a slightly var- a var- variation of the game plan, but did what they usually do. And then when he was taken out of the game plan, they adjusted. They adjusted to losing five lineouts in a row. They adjusted to having five-second rucks basically the whole game. They adjusted to playing as narrowly as possible. They adjusted to Springboks putting them under pressure um, in the second half, and they won. Now, usually in Rugby World Cups, when teams like Ireland do that, what they did on Saturday, when teams like France do what they did in the opening game, that usually shows you which teams are probably going to win a World Cup. And that's the challenge for the Springboks is I think now, and we can maybe talk quickly about Ireland cooks, is I think now Ireland has shown themselves to be the most consistent team in the world, the team that knows themselves the best, the team that can adapt to any situation and can problem solve for things on the field. Because with, I think the good example is the line-out. They lost all of their first four lineouts. It was crazy. I haven't seen lineouts lost like that since Kevin Mealam in the Victor Madfield days. And they adjusted. They said, okay, we'll do a short line-out. We'll do a few little dummies and all that sort of stuff. And do a bit of animation and then get ourselves clean line-out board. And they fixed it. And they had, I think, only one or two lost lineouts for the next 10 or so. They fixed that problem. They fixed the problem of how to... Um, out to attack South Africa. They fixed the problem when um, the scrum was going under pressure. They fixed things. Like, that's the reason why Ireland looks so good. And, yeah, they also just getting such great performances from pretty much all their players. Like, we need to mention Bandiaki and how amazing he was on Saturday, that he's very much thrown his hat into the best 12 in the world ring. And, yeah, I just, there's so much about Ireland right now that I'm looking at and I'm just seeing them on Saturday that, this looks like it. This looks like the best team in the world, and I just still don't understand how. It seems like seventy percent of the rugby world still doesn't respect them, though, which is hilarious. <laughs> I think, like, I think I tweeted Tala a couple of weeks ago for the World Cup start, and I said Ireland's biggest competition is not actually the box, War Blacks, France. It's actually their history, and um, that's what they're battling against mostly because obviously the odds of never going across the quarterfinal is. And they'll probably they'll never get the due respect because they've never they've never gotten past the quarterfinal. And I think, you know, like for example, if Ireland lose the All Blacks in a quarterfinal, it'll be one of their worst losses. And it sounds bad because it's the All Blacks, but this Ireland side is better than the All Blacks. It's, it's a, yeah. it, they should beat the All Blacks, and it's like the way, the way they play. And and I think with Ireland now, it's you know I I just, I just had this feeling, you know, like coming to the World Cup, I thought, listen, like. If this was the Springboks or the All Blacks or England or Australia coming in with this sort of form, you know, having what now it's at, now it's at twenty eight of the last thirty tests, sixteen in a row, it would it actually wouldn't matter who the, what the draw was. It wouldn't, we wouldn't be thinking of the like these also going to steal the World Cup. They're the best. Like you said, Ireland's ability to problem solve is is amazing. Their ability now, like you said, to go they can go down to the gutter, and they can dig dig up performance like they, like, like they dug out on the weekend. They can show the flair like they did when they picked apart the All Blacks last year in, in June. They can go toe-to-toe for you in a shootout like they, like, like they did against France at the start of the year. They, during this run, they've won games in so many different ways. It's not, just being, it's not just being sort of a straight out. I mean, for example, like when they played Samoa just before the World Cup, they had to find a way. Like, we're not great today. We just need to find a way to get through this game. And whether you win by one point or, or five, we need to find a way to get through this game. So they've won games in in multitude of ways. Where it's not just being, this is the, this is the this is how you beat them. This is the platform. Yeah, of course there are ways to disturb the match. Obviously, a lot of it is dependent on Johnny Sexton, who's 
you know, Tala, I was thinking like, you can just see his effect on that side, Tala. I mean, with him being back in certain mm. games, just the command he has on that side. And you can see the, the calmness that he brings. He, he probably looks rattled. He's always going off, but the calmness that he brings, the ability to adjust, the Omanis, Peter Omani was, was massive in the lineout, so almost taking control of the lineout and going to the front. He becomes massive. You look at the Ty Burns. Ty Burns is such a fantastic rugby player. It is, it's, he's so good. Hugo Keenan again. I don't think Hugo Keenan has had a bad oh. game since probably he was in oh. grade. I don't know. I can't remember when last he's had a bad game. It's just, then you got a James, like, then you got a James Lowe and a Mac Hansen who can put their hands up as one of the best winger combinations against any, stack themselves against any winger combination. Mac Hansen's playing career up, but James Lowe, it's just aside for me, Tala, that just also, like you said, each, each player there, like there's a certain, whatever game plan they need to play, they have guys that can adapt. If they want to go in a kicking shootout to them, you can because James Lowe's got a massive boot. Hansen can kick. Keenan can kick. Uh, even Bandiaki was putting kicks through. If you're, if you're not going to physical route, they've got the Bandiakis and come down the middle. They've got the, they've got the pack. If you're going to go for, if, if you're going to go for chaos game where it's not going to be a, sh- a shootout, Mac Hansen is as, as chaotic as the Thomas Ramos, Damon Pinot. <laughs> Mac Hansen is, is chaotic. That are some of the things that he gets, how the breaks and the things that he gets away with it and the ball player that he is. But so I think the Ireland, for them, Tyler, the win is absolutely massive. I think there's the same people are saying like if they'd lost for Zombie, could put a doubt in their heads. I think now they're winning. They're going cheapers. We went toe-to-toe with these guys. With them getting three dominant hits. With them doubling our, our rack speed, actually, and slowing it down. And we lost six lineouts. So if they go, imagine we can get it down to 10 dominant hits. Get our rack speed down to about three seconds. Just take, and we just win five of the six lineouts. They're probably going, hmm, we can actually score points against these guys. And the control they did in that last 10 minutes when they, before they try, took the control of that game, left, left, to get that try, and I thought at the end as well when they got their last penalty. I thought obviously it was game done. Every, every, then obviously then they felt, I don't know what they did in the last minute, but how they conceded this stupid penalty. But honestly, the last eight minutes, the control that they had and just be able to close that game out was fantastic. And then also, like you said, Tyler, when push came to shove to find something in the more the Bok strength, they found a way to slow that just slow that down and come out with the win. So I think they're an incredible side. It's a side that you can see. They've won 20 out of 30, and they, just, they, they know how to win games. They're in the habit of winning games. And I, I, and I just think for them, they actually want to go, they want to go seven from seven. They, they have no time to be dropping a win year, just be go three year. They don't care who they play at the moment. They just, that's the confidence they have. And I think even if they do play France, for example, a DuPont less France or uh, DuPont and Iron Mask is, it, it's a bit of a game changer. And we're going to get them now. So, yeah, I, I'm just big kudos to Ireland. Yeah, look, I think that's just a fantastic team. And last thing I'll say about Ireland is if they win the World Cup, it's going to be because of those Munster men. I think they just add just a little bit of that dog in them, to use a, an American sports saying, um, that just helps them get through the tough times that maybe um, the Leinster boys don't have. So it's Peter Omani, it's Tug Byrne, it's Jack Crowley going for a drop goal, um, what, like two seconds after he came on. And, 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 and almost nailing it. Like, I think it's going to be those players that um, will help Ireland to come through because I think it's a nice mix of obviously the Leinster and the quality and the ability that those Leinster players have. And then you add the Burns, the Marnies, 
the Crowleys, the Con- oh Connor Murray also managed the game so well from number nine as well. Like, yeah, you get it. You go sorry, just very quickly. That Ring Rose um, double pump to Dummy and then the pass to Keenan and Keenan basically almost running into score, but for the brilliant tackle from JC Creel. Keenan, yo man, like there's some players you watch and you're just like, you have so much time on your hand. You're just so good. <laughs> and that's, I think, what Hugo Keenan is. Just effortless in the way that he, he runs and he just controls the game from the back and he gets high balls and he kicks so well and all that sort of stuff. Oh, and another thing is James Lowe's left boot is going to help Ireland also in these big games. And <laughs> James, James Lowe's left shoulder pretty much almost put Eben Etzebeth into... Back into Tigerburg. Cooks, she, she was carrying him all the way back into, into South Africa. I couldn't believe it was James Lowe when the replay came. I was like, there's no ways. <laughs> I couldn't. Oh, man, that was a massive hit. But you're right, these boot and yeah, that boot is massive. I mean, yeah, that ring rose double pump. Even that, like, I've, yes, it felt like more of like a triple pump because you're like, dummy, dummy. And then when she gave. Yeah. No, it was, um, no, it was, oh, geez. Like, and Keenan, such a balanced runner, just does everything right. Like, he's got no faults in his game. Oh, he's just so silk. So, that Leicester Academy is, just drives me crazy because just unearthed, like, you have Rob Carney, then I'll start off to you unearth a gem like Hugo Keenan. Who's the means best fullback in the world, just, don't know, just power mile, Tyler. Like, he's just a whole class, that guy. Okay. We've had our dinner. We've had to eat our broccoli. Let's get into dessert cooks. Wales beat Australia 40 points to six. Australia are hanging on by a thread into this World Cup. They'll need some very unlikely results to go their way um, against, um, uh, against Fiji. And yeah, sheesh, I don't even know where to start with this cooks. Like you go through the week, you hear that um, Carter Gordon has been dropped for Ben Donaldson. The same Ben Donaldson that was the second choice fly half for the Waratahs, who was the third best team um, in, uh, in, in the Australian teams of Super Rugby. Ben Donaldson, who's going to the Western Force in order to try and get some game time at 10. Yeah, that Ben Donaldson, he's starting for Carter Gordon. You then hear that, okay, no Skelter, no Tupo. Dave Parecki finally has his first press conference as captain because he's the sixth captain in seven games for the Wallabies. Um, you then hear Max Jorgensen has, is, is injured, even though he came to the World Cup injured, and they wanted to call up Dylan Peach. They called him up, and then they phoned him and said, nah, don't worry, don't worry about coming, probably because they saw that this result was not going to go their way. It's going... Oh, Eddie Jones then has his um, press conference. He assures the Australian public that they're going to win. They're going to fix all the issues. They're going to win this game on, on Sunday. And you're like, okay... Pretty typical week. Australia, you haven't done anything too crazy. Let's, I mean, the Carter Gordon call is a bit weird. Playing Leota and um, Tom Hooper, not Michael. Hooper at six and seven is a bit weird, but you know what? That's fine. You haven't done anything too crazy. Boom. Sunday comes out. Uh, Sunday, the Sydney, Sydney Morning Herald comes out. Eddie Jones having interviews with, um, with Japan um, about their head coaching position. and the excrement hits the fan and then they just play. I think that the, the thing that signifies the Australia game are three moments. They concede a penalty in their first um, ruck in the game. Secondly, that, that decision to go for the line out when they had three points in front. And then in that line out, 
Leota trips over the lifting pod. The lifting pod then doesn't go up and then it's an overthrow to Jack Morgan, who kicks a 22-22. And then number three is in the second half with the game on the line, they concede a penalty and then they concede three points as soon, as soon after that as well. This is a rabble, Cooks. I don't even know what you, what you call them. Like, it came to the point where I was like, yo, I have so much slander, but I'm actually now just feeling absolutely sorry for them. And I don't know about this Eddie Jones, Doc Rivers situation where he's got himself another elite job, even though he's not <laughs> cooking anything now. But it's Cooks, I don't know. What, what do you think about this whole situation? No, That's he's Doc Rivers for sure. He's just a good job. I've seen that oh. man fraud us for so long. Doc Rivers still living off 2008. Eddie Jones still living off 2007 and the Brighton miracle. Like, yo, I've defended this man for so long. I'm, you know what? Yo, I'm hanging up the coats. I'm done. Do you know what it is, Tyler? I said the Wallabies, the mess they're going through. The last team you want to play is Wales. Like, the very <laughs> last team. Wales is the spring box, to be honest with you. Like, in terms of, like, you got, you got this young team. Because the thing, like, for example, they, they play like the All Blacks or someone. Like, they like, need to throw the ball around. You know what I mean? Like, like, make it a shootout. But you got this young team with a young, another young 10 because you told us that young 10s need time in the saddle. And if you, if you go, if you, have, if you bash them, you don't know anything about rugby, Mac. You don't know anything about rugby. So we're going with your words. <laughs> then you took him off the saddle because he's your only out-and-out flaw. Because Ben Donaldson, you put him at fullback. Who is the third choice fullback for the like second choice flower for the Warriors? You've moved into ten. Who's who started? If I'm mistaken, starting his first game at ten, his first test at ten against Wales. After obviously like leaving Foley, Cooper, and all those guys at home, like the last team they needed to play was Wales, and then obviously Saturday morning, then that drops. And I thought I had us going into Sunday. Um, I flew from East London and I thought, you know what, on the plane I was thinking about, I'm like, oh man, like I really think that the Wallabies could do something here. You know, they need a big win. This could actually be the thing that galvanizes them. Then as I landed, I opened my phone. Guess the first thing I see? Sydney Morning Herald. I was like, yeah, these are so done. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, these are so done. And the thing is, they, they, they fell apart like a cheap tent basically because once, the, once mm. Wales just wore them down, wore them, and it's like, I support Chelsea. So I've seen many a manager lose a dressing room or many a manager oh. on the verge of getting fired. And oh, you sort of no. see the performance when the team goes out and you're like, yeah, this guy's leaving on Monday. Like the team, this is done. Like you can just see like this. It's, it's, oh, the Wallabies are in the second half of this like, like a nothing performance. It's just like, just, it's just like, I don't know, like almost like they're ready to go home. And Wales absolutely feasted on their demise. <laughs> Else. It was a test match rugby. They didn't, like you said, they didn't like, they have to do much. Just boom, corner. Take your like, take your chances. Go to the corner. Experience. Just slowing the game down. Big comes off. Anscombe comes. Take nine from ten from ten from the boot. Great, uh, great set piece try. Maul in the end. Like I think it was missing probably a drop goal, but just wore them down. And and I just and 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 the poor Wallabies said no one to. Lean back on. I think the Eddie Jones. I think he's, he's gotten this horribly wrong. I still don't understand how he didn't go the England route in so terms wrong. of just, just in terms of just like just getting the right guys together, a bit of experience, 
sort of build. Because I think like with Steve Borthwick, for example, like if England get to the, a semi-final and lose, that's a great, still a great building block to build from the next year. It's, it's like, because mm. no one, it, it's, 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 he's come together, build a good defense, got the pack going, play as boring rugby, but it's, it's, it's what you need to do a World Cup. I mean, I know a certain side that went down a similar path then became, and, and became world champions and got a great documentary from it. So, so, um, so, so I'm saying like Eddie could have gone down that path and now he's sort of like, he's put, he has to win the Lions Tour, Tyler. If he says he has to win the Lions Tour in 2027, he has no choice now. Because you can't now use the World Cup as a training camp and then now go to like Lions Tour. And I'm like, he's got to do something. Like, I don't know what it's going to be. The, the, it's know, going to Tokyo, what, Cooks. That's what he's doing. That's the next move here. But I don't know what the Australian rugby is going to do because I see rumors of, of Robbie Deans coming oh, back. Goodness. They had a coach at the oh, start. Did you of see the that? Year. Yeah, but Tyler, they had a coach at the start of the year, and the reason, actually, they are so shit is because this is what happens when you have test matches on Thursday. You can't fight <laughs> against the karma gods. They're going to get you. When you have test matches on Thursday, make us watch a Bledisloe Cup game at half past four in the morning. This is what they deserve. They deserve this. Portugal, if you're hearing this, I need you to do me the biggest favor. Oh, oh it'll be the funniest geez, thing in the world. A Wallabies try to be too good to the game, making us watch test matches on a Thursday. On a Thursday, like the only thing, who watched it was it? Now look, Tyler, the golf, the rugby gods have come back and they've proven me right. <laughs> oh, I've prayed for this day. Oh, he's done miracles on me. This is the day I've been waiting for. Yes. This oh, is, my goodness. Oh, and I feel nothing for those guys. Nothing <laughs> at all. I feel nothing for the Wallabies, and I feel nothing for the Dragons. Still, because you're starting soon. I want them to know I feel nothing for them, too. That's my rant for the day, Dan. But the Dragons... Let me not even engage on that. These guys had a coach who was actually in the middle of... Um, what do you call it? A training camp for this World Cup. And then they announced that they're firing him. Nah, uh-uh. Amos Brickhannon and the Rugby Australia board deserve literally everything that's coming to them in the next few weeks because they really, like, for CMD, we see what's happening there. You, you don't even need to be a brilliant team. So I'm, I tweeted that, well, Australia getting thrashed by a team that's not even playing that well. It's playing like a basic version of rugby. And had 100 Wales people being unhappy about that. But the point was not, it was not more on dragging Wales. It was more about Wales aren't doing anything special. It's not like we've seen Australia get thrashed in the last 10, 15 years. We know Australia getting thrashed. Like when they get thrashed, it's either the Springboks in the high felt just going crazy or it's New Zealand just going on one of those like 10 try sprees after they've run them close in the first Bledisloe game. Like this wasn't anything like in terms of like a special thing or a brilliant performance, they just did test rugby. And Australia couldn't hang with just pretty normal test rugby. That's So Australia could have literally had a team that was competent. That's all you need to be in order to get out of pool C and D. And then to win a quarterfinal against England or that whatever Argentina is still doing because that game against Samoa <laughs> shows they're still not serious about the World Cup. Like... You just need to be they're competent. Dave Rennie uh, would have given you competence. 100%. 100%. Like, Argentina's basically a buffet away from actually being out the World Cup. 
and like England, who <laughs> who basically like couldn't couldn't buy in, just found the most competent game plan, the most basic, simple game plan as to how we're going to structure this World Cup. Same as same as like Wales, for example. Like it's not pretty what they do. It's just the only difference now is the fact that their best kicker is actually is Jack Morgan. Like that's the that's the only difference. Like <laughs> Jack Morgan is he's got he's got a, he's got a kick pass assist. He's got a left footed little clearance. He's, now he's got a twenty twenty two. But all I was trying to do exactly was just be competent. That's all they had to do. Dave Rennie at least was showing glimpses and a bit of experience here and there. Got unlucky with Samu Karevi and Kurt Cooper getting injured. That's all they just needed to do with the hoop. I don't understand what has gone on. Like some. Like I look at those games, I'm like, man, like someone like a Quade Cooper, like a re- there's no one for these youngsters to like sort of look back to. And I understand mm. he says like the, the youngsters can learn from this going forward, and they can, but also like I can't learn much about basketball. From this? Like what, what, the certain things, like what, like certain things, I don't need to learn this. Like you just can have someone like it's the same way. Like I know like Leinster sent those poor kids to go play against the Blue Bulls. They're not learning from that thing from that day when I said. There's nothing you're going to learn from that day besides that we're not going to play against the African guys ever again. Like, there's, there's no lesson. Like, so I think with, with Australia, it's like, it's almost like, you're, and it's not going like one step back to go forward and sort of like Dave Rennie. Because even Dave Rennie's team was always young, but he kept the Hoopers, the Coopers, and guys that, even like a Foley, I'm just thinking on the weekend, even like a Bernard Foley would be fantastic in a situation with, with this mm. group. Hoopers there. Like, you can do something. And I thought, man, they can still... Oh, um, your eye. Again, <laughs> for anyone watching this from other countries, make sure your country does not start putting test matches on a Thursday or you will get knocked out in the group stage. You will not make it past your, your group. So do not disrespect rugby by playing test matches on a Thursday or this will be the effect. Your, your, your head coach will be fired after a camp in January and you will play only kids like it's in a Cranberry tournament and your team will be knocked out of the World Cup. Let this be a lesson to everybody out there. <laughs> so number of Australian um, squad members that have more than 40 caps, five. I think it's White, Korobete, Karevi, Tupo, and Slipper. Slipper has, I think, 20% of the Don't number of three caps players, in the whole squad. Three players were picked for the World Cup squad and hadn't played a single test. <laughs> T- 16 <laughs> players have less than 10 tests, Cooks. 16. <laughs> Almost the majority. What the hell was this guy doing? <laughs> no, this, actually, you... No, uh, uh, Sunday or Monday morning, I was just... When I thought about it more and more, I was like, this man has really actually done almost... Everything he's done is the opposite of what you should do in this situation. Like, he's genuinely made every wrong decision. I've seen this before. I've seen Doc Rivers choke 3-1 leads for multiple teams. For the Sixers, for the Clippers... For everyone, I know this. This is Doc Rivers, man. Like, I can see it now. Like, he's very much choked this whole job. And, yeah, look, the fact that Japan and Eddie Jones aren't denying the story, yeah, this man is heading to Tokyo. Yeah. And you know what? Get your payday, Eddie. I hope maybe, you I'm I'm sad for Japan, but, yeah, I guess they can't really convince Tony Brown or a good coach to stay there. I mean, they're asking for Franz Ludica. I'd genuinely go for Franz Ludica rather than Eddie Jones right now. Well, some, like, I don't know. I think, I think it's the one place that Eddie Jones doesn't have... Like, so the Africa and Japan is the two 
Jobs is probably left in, in a good note where there's no bad blood. Or uh, he didn't get he sacked, left Storm is um, on a pretty bad note. Oh yeah, well, I mean, oh yeah, true. But I mean, I forgot about. Well, we, <laughs> he did call it. He did call it tabletop mountain. So that's a fireable <laughs> offense as you go. But I mean, like Storm was fans, let's get over it. Like it's England. I man, I man. Like imagine me. <laughs> like I just left varsity and then I get a job. At like you know, at a job at like this is like low rising marketing company. Then Apple calls me to be the CEO. I have to leave. I'm mean, on Storm's <laughs> fans. Get over it. Like, what's he gonna say? No, because so you can coach against Western Force. But England's coaching. Ah, I'm on Storm's fans. You get over that. Look now, you got Dobo. <laughs> Happy times are back. Happy times are oh. back there. Yeah, I must get those guys. Must I must get over it. Every time Storm's fans are crying, yeah, move on, man. It's like, like if. Now I'm just chilling and like Margot Robbie wants to go to, hey, tough life happens, guys. <laughs> like it happens. Sorry. <laughs> Not Margot Robbie. Oh, cooks. Yeah. So let's go through some oh, of the other things. Margot Robbie is listening to this pod. If, if she is, I apologize. Yeah. I, I mean I'm, I'm going to just... I am not going to... I got caught up in the motion. Sorry. No, I, I got caught up. I'm not, I'm not leaving for anyone. Sorry. Sorry. Public apology to Cooks' girlfriend. We're sorry about that. <laughs> Okay, so let's go through some of the other news. I think let's start with the probably the second best or yeah, the second best game of the weekend. Georgia versus Portugal. 18 to 18. <sighs> Just an epic game. It looked at the start that Georgia was going to run away with it. They had the early try. They had all the dominance. And then Portugal just decided, nah, we, we've had enough of this. And their um, right wing, Rafael Storti, who scored two brilliant tries. Like he's only 22 as well. He's um, Squinch says he's going to be the first um, superstar from Portuguese rugby, and you can you can believe that. And these teams went toe to toe for eighty minutes, and then it ends on a draw, which I think is probably the fair result. But both teams will be pretty unhappy with that. Cooks, yeah, that was just an epic game, and yeah, obviously, I think we all have to say the things that most other people are saying that we need to see Georgia and Portugal play tier one teams more. We need to see you know, World Rugby just opening up the gates more um, for more opportunities for these teams. And you know what, Cooks, I'm going to definitely get an illegal stream to watch the next Georgia versus Portugal game. Like, the Rugby European Championships has another fan now. No, 100%. I mean, what a crack of a game. Also, like, it's, it's such a weird game because Georgia looked like they won cruise control in the first half, thinking like, oh, okay, mm. cool. They sort of should have had a trial or two extra and then Portugal just came out and, oh, they were fantastic in the second half. I think, it's just such a really, really good game of rugby. Like you said, Tyler, these are the games that make the World Cup worthwhile. You know, they make it such a special tournament because, you know, you look at how far Georgia and Portugal have come. Portugal, I mean, I think the first World Cup 2007 were yeah. just happy to be there. Now you look at the growth in their game, which is, and organic growth, because I mean, like, cause, I mean, because World Rugby is pretty much doing much to try to grow the game and sort of get them playing Tier 1 Nations. They need to play Tier 1 Nations. Why is there no... Even if they're playing against, for example, like why can't those sides have a test against a Wales? They play the Springboks once every two, or have tours to Fiji, have tours to to Scotland, and have tours to. They should be playing in those games. They should be invited to these end of the year tours. We should be going there. The game has got to grow because you can see the value in these games. But tell me, I want to ask you an interesting question quickly. Do you think, tar like if it's, it's a if it's a pool game and it's a draw? Do you think they should do this the Super Rugby Pacific thing and actually do like a do like an mm. extra like a ten minutes extra time sort of like I, I know a draw does feel like very like it's very anti it's just anti climax. I know Super Rugby Pacific has to sort of make sure there's always a result. But do you think 
that rugby world cups would implement that especially for a game like that like you know just to because now Portugal have the first win Georgia needs their win so what do you think should like a 10 minute extra time even in the pool stage Quick, mm. so it's actually a very interesting idea I think my only pushback to it is the consequences for um, points difference and tries difference mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff I mean with um, the Pool B, there's a situation where if Scotland, yeah, if Scotland gets bonus point wins against both Ireland and South Africa and other things happen, that there'll be three teams with um, tied at the top. And then it gets into bonus points, I mean, uh, points difference and tries difference, all that sort of stuff. And it is unfair if Georgia and Portugal played another 20 minutes that obviously they'll score more points. So that's my only or maybe, problem or maybe, with golden, and, yeah, or maybe even golden point. Yeah. But yeah, again, yeah, maybe, yeah, that might be the way to do it then because it would have been, at least for that game, I, uh, you know, that's when you wish the WWE was running things because, you know, Vince McMahon <laughs> would have walked out and continued that game. So I think that was definitely needed for that particular game because it was, I felt fine because I thought, I didn't think both teams deserved to lose because as you say, Georgia in the first half dominated that game. David Niniashvili was kicking like a dream. And every time he got the ball, he got it in space and he was cooking people. I was like, I, th- I don't know if I did tweet it, but I was ready to launch a hot take that Niniashvili is the best tier two backline player in the world and say no to Tuisova, Nice Levu, and Suteni and all those people. But don't, then don't, in the second don't, half... Don't forget, don't forget the great Felipe Echeverri from, from Uruguay. Please tell her. Please. Oh, the sorry. The to himself. The box, the Mr. Box drop goal himself. <laughs> Yo, no, that, that man, when he kicked that drop goal, I knew Jared would love him. But I was just like, you know what? You've earned my respect as well. You know what? Then in the second half, yeah? So you know the thing that you're very, you don't know, what, you don't know what to expect. One moment you, there's a drop goal, next moment he's, he's blasting his own player, five minutes out and he's going to see try. That's my, that's my type of running player. You don't know what he's going to do. But you have to watch and see. Felipe Achaveri, what a player. Okay, you yeah, I think another player to add to your list of chefs. I, I think you need a cooks. You need a, a tweet where you list the, the your 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 top chefs, your top Michelin star chefs in this World Cup. But Geronimo no, Portela, the Portuguese yeah. fly half, <laughs> yo, he's he's a chef, chef supreme. That man because the man just likes going into the line and delivering a nice little offload just out of the hand. There, he did that for the one story try as well. Like. Number one, has an epic name, um, Geronimo. Fantastic name for someone. Number two, apparently Storti only started rugby because Portela invited him to come down to the rugby club um, when they were like both kids. So he literally recruited probably the most talented Portuguese player in this generation <laughs> to play rugby as well. Like, now, Mans, Mans has my respect for sure. And, oh, before, I, before we move on, Nicholas Martins, the Portuguese um, uh, flank, had an epic game. Like, the sort of game that if he was wearing like a green Irish jersey or a green Springbok jersey, you'd be like world-class, best player in the world type of player. Like tackling everything that moved, stopped almost a certain try with that holding up as well. Big carries, um, big turnovers as well. Like he had a good game. And Beko Gorgadze, the um, Georgian eight, there was a moment in that game where Georgia seemed like they were just, I think they almost like resigned themselves to losing the game. But Gorgadze said, not on my watch, guys. And he just carried that team into, you know, the opportunity to try and draw the game later. Like, yeah, obviously he's a great player. We know that he plays um, 
in the top 14 as well. And he's obviously like in that sort of like, if not world class, but pretty close to that already. But yeah, he showed in that game um, on Saturday how big he is because he really drags Georgia into the possibility of getting a result in that game. Cooks, yeah, very much the best game of the tournament so far. At least in terms of the non-mainstream games, definitely the best game of that tournament. No, definitely. Yeah, we're going to have to find that illegal link for Portugal versus Georgia next year. No, 100%. No, we need it. We need it. Okay, next big news is sad news, which is um, obviously, well, this happened almost a week ago now, which is Antoine Dupont's injury. He's um, fractured his cheekbone after... Um, a tackle from Jan Dessel, who's now got a five-week ban from it, which I think is a little bit unfair because, yeah, there have been worse tackles that have gotten much less um, than, than what DuPont got. But, yeah, DuPont seems like, at least at this moment, he seems to be, he'll be coming back to the squad at the end of this week. Um, they are trying to get a mask for him. And, yeah, I mean, Cooks, we, I think we know in the NBA the theory that if you play in a mask, you ball out. So, this makes me a bit worried that Antoine Dupont plus a mask will actually be an unreal player. No, 100%. It scares me. I don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's it's rugby is a, a hectic game to be like tackling someone in scrum cap is one thing, but if they're in a mask, it's, it's a whole new different option. <laughs> one way to get someone to tackle lower. But yeah, it, I mean, it was, it, it was sad. I think um, I can know a lot of people were having a go at Felvin Gelt here for taking over at halftime it's tough I mean like I think Yaltier for me said it perfectly at halftime is like you've got to play these Oaks like you can't put them in cotton wool for a month because they play the All Blacks first and I think yeah there's mm. certain guys and it's, it's such a it's such a hard place to be because he plays him for, for half and maybe he feels like he's gonna be undercooked I mean there's stats for these guys that all follow to see where you go but again it's a freak accident for for your day so I think there's a lot of worse tackles that, I mean, shoulder boy on Farrell should have been got banned longer than the one that the Dazel one. But, I mean, the poor Oak was being in front of them. They're making it sound like Dazel was like a hitman and having having their public apologies. And I'm like, it's, it's a high tackle. Like, happened, got a call, you shook Ponson out of the game and you went, like, move on. But, yeah, uh, I mean, it is sad. I think, obviously, I think it's going to be interesting. I think with France, again, Tala, it's that same mold with the Springboks. He said, like, you losing one world-class player to many and whew, and Dupont is the things he was doing in a movie game, the freakish things that he was <laughs> like, mm, oh, mm, mm, mm. like losing that because that's a, his ability to sort of do that in a game. I think that's pretty, uh, oh, it's hard for me to, I think that while and rushing back to have Luku and Jalibé starting to lose your two starting to, and, and to go against the box or Ireland it's a tough, tough, tough ask. And they need their shit house you to be at a, at a different level to get through that quarterfinal. But I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure DuPont will play. I mean, we've seen Sia come back from a knee injury in, in record time. So don't be surprised to see DuPont rocking a man in the iron mask here and um, playing in the quarterfinal. Yeah, someone tweeted, um, I've been following French rugby Twitter and shout out to, Google, um, to Twitter for that um, translate option. Because you you see some bangers there. Someone tweeted that um, uh, Dupont should get into contact with Pogba's witch doctor, and I laughed. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. Like I almost was crying at that. That was ridiculous. Um, Cooks, I'll take you through a bit of a, a thing from history, which is 2019. Japan overperformed as the hosts and got to the quarterfinal. 
2015, okay, England went out. 2011, New Zealand won as the host, the whole World Cup. 2007, France had a bad start, but then they beat New Zealand in the quarterfinals um, and have a big result there to get to the semifinals. 2003, Australia goes all the way to the final and only get beaten by Johnny Wilkinson. Um, 1995, we know what the Springboks did in their own home World Cup. So a home World Cup usually has the hosts at least deliver one big result. And yeah, my thing is, I don't think it's the end of the story for France if Dupont is not able to play. It looks like he will play, but if Dupont's not able to play, I still think they could and might actually, yeah, I think they could win against whoever it's, if it's the Springboks or the Irish or whoever, I think they still win. I still think that there's one game that almost the France, the French crowd and France just getting that extra leg from that crowd will give them. I don't think it was the New Zealand game. I think the New Zealand game, they just out, uh, yeah, they just ground out a team that, that they were much better than. There's a game that's going to be on the balance that France wins almost because of their crowd or because they're at home or because of the French TV directors. So I kind, I, I, I and number two, obviously, is that Luca and Jalibert are teammates. Luca's been um, a part of the French squad for a long time. He's a very good box kicker. He's obviously not a freak like Dupont. But if at least, if the rest, if Aldred comes back, Marchand comes back, they have everyone else in that team. Yeah, I, I, if I'm the Springboks, I'm not taking this lightly, which is why I'm also poo-pooing everyone's suggestion that, no, the Springboks lost on purpose on Saturday against Ireland, all part of the plan to face France in the quarterfinals. I, I think it's the worst case scenario for any team to face France in the quarterfinals because either DuPont comes back as a hero or they're playing for DuPont, who's injured in the stands. They do maybe what, yeah, like have his jersey there for the team photo and all that sort of stuff. Like that atmosphere for the quarterfinals is going to be crazy. So, yeah, Cooks, do you see, are you seeing what I'm seeing about my theory that, yeah, they, there's, there's maybe possibilities for France to still come out? No, 100%. I mean, it's still an incredible outfit. I mean, um, the depth they've created. I mean, like even if, for example, like they, it's still a serene restaurant to come off if they don't even, if Tupol is out for good and he still think he's, he's a quality nine just sitting at home. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, it's, it's still such a classy outfit that um, with a ton of World Cup players and also the way they play, Tala actually, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like the, the kicking game, the defensive game, it's, like, it's not like it'll change much. And I think um, it's a game they can travel well, a game they can cover for injuries and the injuries losses. They still have incredible packs, still have incredible depth in that pack as well. So it's, a, it's, it's definitely a build for the playoffs. And I think with, like, with, with Dupont on the bench, they'll rally behind him on the, the stands. They could rally behind him, but him, him on the field, I mean, they can still do mayhem. I think your theory is definitely right. I mean, it's right off France and your own peril. With, it's the same it's the same as Springboks. I mean, they've also lost Tamak and now Dupont could be out and there's Aldrit and they're still up there on the favors. It just shows the depth and, and what Galtier has built. I mean, we all remember when he was taking teams in June for June tours without leaving his starters at all at home when the, when the Jaminez came through and guys like that because he was leaving starters at home they were the likes of Olivon and Damaga they weren't going to Australia he was he was going to the new breed he was going to Japan without his starters just to start and find New York and, and create this incredible depth and this is what he has now and you can see the effect of it in terms of domestically and now so this is where we see his gamble paying off and that's why you said like France and the Springboks have got so many injuries, but they're still sitting there as 
one of the favorites as well. It just shows an incredible job our staff and the French staff has done. Yeah, so I think the story is not finished for France. Okay, quickly on the other results, um, Cooks, you can just um, add a few words to each game. Italy versus Uruguay. Italy wins 38 points to 17. We've talked about the hero that is um, Echeverri for Uruguay. But the second half was, I think, a, a, a masterclass from Tommaso Allen and Paolo Garbisi. Cooks, do you think Italy could spring a surprise um, on either New Zealand or France? I don't think a surprise to win. I think it would be a lot closer than... I don't think they get, get blown out. I think, it's, I think it's... I mean, they've played really good rugby, Tyler. I mean, that's, that's been the nice thing about it, is, is the rugby they've been playing. Like, and so I wanted to say earlier, with, with, I'm, not, I'm not saying at all that it is a Tier 2 nation, it's probably at the bottom of the Tier 1s, but the, tier one, the, the, the rugby that's being played by all these smaller nations has been great to watch. I mean, Uruguay plays entertaining rugby. So does Portugal, so does Georgia now. Italy, where these are the normal sides a couple of years ago, they used to play that turgid, boring rugby. Just trying, just to try and stay into, just, just to try and stay in games. Now they're throwing the ball around. Mm-hmm. One, they're having a being so attacking, especially Italy now. I, mean, I think they could, they'll definitely back themselves. They won't go. They'll, they'll, it won't be an easy outfit. I think I don't think it will be a 80 or 70 point walkover. I think the All Blacks are going to fight for it because because Italy is going to become and the, and Italy's pack is better than you think. The Lamaros and things like that. they're going to be up for that game. So I do think I can't see them beating one of those two, but I definitely think it's that could make things interesting for about 50, 60 minutes. And I think for therefore Italy, I think that could that would be the way. Unfortunately, they're just in the wrong draw, in their own group. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think New Zealand will have um Lomax and Frizzell back. So yeah, the door's slightly open. I think it's very slightly ajar for Italy to maybe come through. I wish Italy would learn how to Tactic to kick tactically though, because they seem to be allergic to that. But yeah, uh, hopefully they do at least give both teams a good game. Um, we talked about France and Namibia. France getting the biggest win of the World Cup so far, ninety-six points to nil. Argentina versus Samoa. We mentioned Argentina um, winning nineteen points to ten. Samoa still has a chance in the World Cup. They can still hopefully make a bit of. A, they can beat Japan and beat England. They can put themselves in the quarterfinal. Um, yeah, Argentina, as we talked about, is one Buffelli away from n- not looking like a good team. This game was just chaos cooks. Like, both teams just deciding to do the worst decisions, first of all, in the rain, and then second of all, just, you know, just, I don't know, they just played off complete vibes at times. They just were either throwing the ball around or kicking when they're not supposed to kick or just doing crazy things this whole game. No, 100%. <laughs> Hey, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of um, Argentina. I don't know what to do. Like I don't know. I don't know if they feel like playing rugby or not. Like oh, uh, I think they still get the semi, the quarterfinals. And I think knowing them, Tyler, like remember, like remember, like twenty fifteen quarterfinal. Like they were like they didn't, they, they came to their group like didn't do much, and then they rocked Ireland in the quarterfinal. Rocked mm. them. So I think like they they that could be their little master plan, but yeah, I think they won Buffalo away, who's Buffalo's an incredible rugby player as well. There's just so many players totally at the moment playing at such a high level, and Buffalo is obviously one of them. I mean, like that game, you probably like you said, if if, if Buffalo played for Scott for Samoa, Samoa wins that game. Yeah, and um, yeah, I don't know what to make of Argentina. I don't, doesn't I don't know what's going on there. I think it's just uh, the best thing they do is actually get the win. I'm, I think they're going to get better, Tyler. I'm not going to write them off yet. I think there's, there's still a lot on that side there for them to improve on. 
to get better on. But oh no, it's it's still it's it's just still crazy for me how they've sort of gotten away with it. But uh, but luckily they um, they're probably the worst, the easier. I mean, the, the easier game is sort of up up ahead of them now as opposed to the harder ones. Yeah, let's see how it goes because Japan also has a chance to still be to still win that or still be second in that group. Then England wins 71-0 to Chile. Um, yeah, so Cooks, I don't know if you've received the email that Henry Arundel is the best player in the world and that Marcus Smith is the answer to all of England's problems. Did you receive that email? No, I did. That's what happens now. No, to be fair, the email I got is that England were like, listen, all of the trials we're going to score now, they're all done. Arundel, you got five, so you can <laughs> go back to the bench. So guys, this is the trials we're going to score now. We're going to average, go back to averaging one try per test. So everyone be happy, be merry. This is the plan now. Arundel feasted. Marcus Smith feasted at 15. Everybody's happy. Farrell's back. They just ticked all the boxes. Who do you need to please? Oh, the Farrell fans. Okay, he's back. Oh, Marcus Smith's fans. Okay, there you go. Played 15. Oh, Aaron Noise, player. There you go. Five trials for him. Now both of you can do whatever you want now for the rest of the World Cup. He's just ticked all boxes. That's how you, <laughs> you treat these monocytes. That's how you put them away. You, you let the Twitter streets be happy. Make them happy and then you move on and play your boring rugby again. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, the contrast for this game versus the Samoa game is going to be crazy because, yeah, they're going to come back with some very much haram ball coming out there. And then finally, um, Scotland beats Tonga 45 points to 17. I mean, yeah, I think Tonga got more interested in trying to take off people's heads than actually playing rugby at some points. Apart from a Lovely try for bedtime, Ifuna. And then Duan van has beaten now over 80 defenders in 10 test matches this year. Like, he is a machine at the moment. Coxio, you haven't had a chance to really talk about Scotland, so I, I will give you the floor. Oh, Scotland. Oh, shame. <laughs> I think the box just blitzed them, basically, in that first test and just suffocated the life out of them. I thought it was 8 o'clock on a Sunday night and I'm watching Anaconda. That's a... That's how much that's how that's how restrictive the box were to them. I think on the weekend they were good. Um, did enough to beat Tonga. I mean, Jordan for actually plays incredibly well. He beats all the defenders in the world except for the spring box. I think that's what I like about him. I respect that he does not do his madness against <laughs> us. Like he's like he, then he takes it out of the poor Tonga and say, yes, he's just Jordan for ability to beat defenders is actually incredible. Like I mean, he's, he 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 is playing on a very high level at the moment, and I think Scotland played well. Carl Stanos a lot. Because a walking trial, walking trial machine at the moment, but I think Scotland do are very, very solid. I think only it's, it's a shame for them. It's it is tough. I saw a tweet which summed up Scotland so well after Saturday's game. He's like, one game in the World Cup and you're really knocked out. It's the most Scottish thing ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> they said she played one game, they said she out. Now they need like a miracle to sort of get through. Um, but shame. I think again, like we spoke about this in a preview pod, like sides like Scotland, Italy just cannot believe their luck. Like they just cannot. Like why couldn't we be in the Wales, England, and Fiji? Like, like what is like why are we just banished to this where it's like? Because I mean, I can't see Scotland getting a bonus point against Ireland. Bonus point win. I mean, even if they do win, like I just can't see them doing by, by a bonus point, and that's and that's and that's the big problem. Like so, I'm sure Ireland will potentially arrest a few players even though I mean they do have a, they do have a buy, they have a buy this week but yeah Scotland it's another campaign where of what if yeah 
And then, yeah, just going on to our matches that are coming up this week, um, we can go through them very quickly. So first of all is the, actually the first win in the World Cup ever derby, um, Uruguay versus Namibia. So whoever wins this game will have their first win ever in a Rugby World Cup, um, which is obviously a very exciting opportunity. Unfortunately for Namibia, it doesn't look like it'll be them because they just don't seem to be at the same level as Uruguay. Um, Cooks, but yeah, hopefully it's a game and hopefully Namibia can give themselves a good account because part of the reason why they lost 96-0 to the French was that they were resting their best players for um, for this game, but now they don't have Daiso or Leroux Malan um, for this game. Yeah, I think they will. I think they definitely will um, give a bit of kind of themselves. I mean, it's, I think it's something they can target, a scope they can target. I think Uruguay's obviously, for them, they're probably obviously targeting Italy. I think they're going to beat that one up and sort of Tottenham is a bit of more of a lock. But I think Namibia, I mean, it's a chance to go out and walk up on a high. Shame they've had to go for France, the All Blacks. I don't know what, what the rugby gods did to them, but I mean, they are like, and like them in Romania, who also had to go to Ireland in the Springboks. But I think Uruguay should win, but I, ho- I, really hope it's a, I really hope it's a close game and Namibia do something for us. Yeah, hopefully they give a game. Unfortunately for Namibia, like they had the craziest or like the worst of all the draws because they played all four of their games in 19 days and they finished with the World Cup. So they literally will fly off on Thursday or Friday and most other teams haven't even played their third game yet, which is ridiculous. So they don't even have a chance to enjoy um, France after this. They didn't have a week off like other teams, like Wales have a week off now and Lewis Rizamit has gone to Khan to continue his um, Instagram baddie era. Namibia does not even have that chance um, to do that after this game. So yeah, I think they got the very short end of the stick with this World Cup. Um, Cooks, a few predictions. Japan versus Samoa? Japan, oh, ooh. I said this so very quickly. That, oh. <laughs> Samoa, Samoa. Because I want yeah. Japan to speed along this Eddie Jones story. I need it. We need it. <laughs> No, we definitely need it. Yeah, I'm also going for Samoa. Then, yeah, hopefully they can still make the knockouts um, in my, yeah, if, if they can then beat Japan and then beat England. New Zealand versus Italy. I'll predict Italy will lead um, after 60 minutes and then New Zealand comes through. Oh, nice. That's a, that's a good pick. I'll, I'll probably go to New Zealand by 25. Oh, okay. He's going to come back cooking. Um, yeah, look, I think this next game, Argentina versus Chile in Saturday afternoon, it'll probably be an Argentina win, but I think at least stay for the first like 20, 30 minutes because oh, yeah, it's gonna I be, can see it's, Chile going to be doing the most. Chile is going to kick off and it's going to go mad. The crowd's going to be fantastic. I think at least the first half will be competitive. I, I won't even be surprised if it's like close after the after half time. No, me too. 100%. Each of us, Georgia is interesting. I mean, Georgia hasn't been great in this World Cup. I mean, they lost badly to Australia, which seems, <laughs> which is getting worse the, the longer this World Cup goes. And um, they obviously drew to Portugal. But yeah, Fiji and Georgia are like two different styles of, of, of teams. And they, they obviously historically two different sides, but they're both trying to be more like each other now. Fiji's trying to be a nice structured game and play the set pieces and stuff. Georgia's trying to run it and, um, get their outside backs going. So that's going to be a very interesting game um, between these two. But Cook, surely Fiji continues their form? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a massive game for Fiji. You know, I think obviously they're the one to show consistency. And I mean, they have shown it, but to bounce back from the Australia game and sort of put 
Georgia away and, and, and get a bonus point, you know? But I think definitely Fiji too. I think, not definitely, but I think Fiji should actually win that game and sort of cement themselves into the next round. I mean, this is a perfect opportunity for them. They managed to get six points out of the Wales and Australia games. And now this is the, the cushion they wanted to get for themselves to sort of push through against Georgia and Portugal. So I'm definitely going to go Fiji. Yeah. And then um, Scotland versus Romania. The question for Scotland is how many in terms of points? They, I mean, yeah, they, I saw some permutations, but they pretty much have to get at least 67 points more than the Springboks um, to put themselves in a good position. If like likely things happen, like Ireland gets a bonus point, losing bonus points, so Africa gets a try bonus point in their game. So Scotland has to rack up the score in this game. Cooks, I think they should actually just start a back three of Duan, um, Kinghorn, and uh, Carl Stay. Yeah, poor Romania. There's, they don't need it. They don't need to play the box and then must deal with um, and then and then deal uh, what you call it um, <laughs> and then deal Duan from America. That just seems unfair. Mm. That's just poor Romania. I don't know what they did to World Rugby. Like, what do they do to deserve this? Like, why wow, is just. Just, it's just, it's, you, 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 you play the, the top two teams in the world. Now you're going to deal with Scotland, who's, who needs to score points. Like, and like, oh, oh, shame, Romania. I feel so sorry for them. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunately going to get very ugly for them. Um, Australia versus Portugal. Yeah. I, you know what? Let's, let's do it for vibes. Let's, let's go for a Portugal win. Like, why not? Australia, I think they're going to play their second team. They're going to play a person called Josh Kemeny, who's apparently an utility forward and back because, you know, it is there for vibes. Um, yeah, who knows? <laughs> I actually think if Portugal gets a good start, this could get very, very, very scary for Australia. You know, they, they, they've got a start well. Australia has a start well. The same in the play against Georgia. Like, they had to get off the mark very, very well. Australia, oh, don't do this again. Please, 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 please. <laughs> Yo, you're going to kill poor Drew Mitchell. Just think about Drew. Play for Drew this weekend. Play for Drew. Australia, Australia to win for, for oh, Drew. Shame. Just for Drew. Oh, if, if Australia lose that game, I don't care what. The, the Supersport just needs to make a plan and just stream that whole press conference from Eddie Jones because who knows what will happen if he just quits on the spot, if he signs a Japanese contract in front of us, if he swears at every journalist there, like Supersport, Motsiri, if, you, if you're listening to this, please make a plan because we need to hear every word <laughs> of that press conference if, if the Wallabies somehow manage to lose this. And also shout out to Francisco Isaac. He's literally the best follower for Tier 2 rugby in, in Europe. And he's great. He's obviously Portuguese as well. And yeah, he's very much enjoying Portugal, probably playing some of the best rugby in this World Cup so far. And then finally, the Springboks are going to end off the weekend against Tonga. Cooks, very quickly, we haven't really discussed it when we discussed the box. Um, strategy for selection, are we protecting some of the big boys or are we trying to get as many points as possible for the unlikely event of Scotland um, getting big points? And then, yeah, how do we manage the 100 Pollard thing, at least for this game? Uh, I think I'll have a balance, you know. I think I'll, I, 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 I'll play Sia again, for example. Um, Kitsoff must be nowhere near the rugby field this weekend. That's the number one. You must be nowhere near the rugby field this weekend. Like, no, you must actually be, you should be in con with his wife, with Amy relaxing, just, you know, feet up, just, 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 just enjoying the sights of what, what France has to offer. You know, even if she just came out of the country, it's the same, same, same to Venice. 
let me just put his feet up for a bit. Mm. Um, I think it should be. I think it should be a balance. You know, I'd like to see obviously like a. No, I think Esther Hazen. I think um, Esther Hazen, and uh, it's tough because I think. With, I think Andre Pollard should start, but I think if you start Andre Pollard, you start him with a nine that you start in the quarterfinal. If that makes sense, give the continuity. Yeah. Like give him, if you yes. if, if you're him to start, give him a five. If you have if you have Williams to start him at fifteen, then give him a Williams or, or give him a a Villy, You know, so I think I think that's that should be the the the, the slight uh, continuity. I think yeah, I think Estazen should does come in. I think um it's, it's the thirteen probably. If you go just for race sake, but I, I actually, I actually just think would wouldn't be surprised to see um, Creel and Duke start again. Um, just, just because yeah. uh, with Pollard, obviously you got to try to get the, just good rotations in, you know, and sort of get the same guys in, and then yeah, I think it'll be obviously I get Moody, and I think Moody, I think Moody looks like he's fit, so I think he deserves a, a crap. I think he deserves yeah, when he when we playing as Romanian, but I think he deserves another game. Um, we did my pimpy probably, and then yeah, since probably for fifteen, I think I'll have LeBock on the bench. I'll have five three. Obviously, normal Archer to start. Maybe I maybe I might give it's a bit. Maybe another another run just to sort of just to sort of get him up to scratch. Because also we we do have that buy coming up next week, so I think yeah. it'll be a bit of a balance. You know, I think I don't mind seeing the likes of it's a bit. Maybe I see uh, um, Dwayne coming in. I think um, just just to I think the big one is how to manage Bongi. I'd actually, I'd actually start Dion free and I'd have Bongi yeah. off the bench. I think I think Dion to start and Bongi off the bench and then sort of take it from there. What do you What did you do? Yeah, I think we're on the same page, Cooks. Um, I'm also very concerned about Tonga. Just if the game goes away from them, they seem to be that typical um, team that if they start conceding points, they start to go. <laughs> into let's hurt people um, type of game plan. So, yeah, I think as far as possible, Bongi number one doesn't play that game. Um, I like the suggestion for Steven Kitsoff. I do think that we as a country and the Stormers owe him and Amy at least a, a, a midweek trip um, to Cannes or to Venice, like you said. So that's completely fine with me. Um Stephen must just let me know if he wants to know where to go to and can't. Um, yeah, I, I would pretty much do a similar thing. I think Faf and Pollard and Vili LaRue are the 19-15. I don't really mind what you do from 11 to 14. I think there's you can make arguments for other for either people. But yeah, I think just to keep people fresh as far as possible. Um, then up front, uh, I wouldn't mind rest for Sia, but I totally understand where, where you're coming from as well. Dwayne at eight um, for me. And then um, if Koch is able to play, you can play him in the 23. Um, Kitsov's obviously on holiday in his boat. And then, yeah, I think between, if 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 possible, and I mean, if the box really do back this Dion Fury, Marco Van Stad and timeshare that they're doing for the number 16 jersey, then I, think, I don't think Tonga's that good that they would actually beat us, even if we play a second team. So I genuinely think you should not even put Bongi in the 23, put Dion at number two, put Marco at number 16, and problem solve. If things aren't going well in your scrums or lineup, problem solve. Like, kind of do an island, which they kind of did with Josh van der Fleer earlier this year with the gaming in Scotland, and just be like, okay, 
Dion Marco, you don't have the safety blanket of Mongi Bonambi coming on in the second half or whatever. You figure out the line out. You and Snayman or you and Mustard figure out the line out. You figure out how we're going to go in the scrum. Like that would probably give a lot more, I think, confidence for them and comfort, at least for me as a fan, that they can hopefully hold their own against Malvaka for 20 minutes then if we play Bongi for 40 minutes or 20 minutes um, in the game. Like, take the safety blanket off and, and let's see how it goes. Um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't mind um, something like that. I think if, we, if the Springboks can get a fast start like they did against um, Romania, I think Tonga falls away. So the Springboks can get two or three quick tries, which is what Scotland didn't do in their game, and keep Tonga in the game until about 50 or 60 minutes becomes a lot easier for you. So, yeah, hopefully a quick start for the box and they can just start running up the score. Um, yeah, Cooks, I'm not, yeah, I don't know what other maybe European cities you think the Kitsil should be visiting this week, though. Uh, maybe go to Rome, you know, ride a couple weekends coming up. Perfect time for Kitsil's life hey. golf, you know. I think maybe to, we should go to, you know, some of the Vatican, watch him, watch him golf on the weekend. Just, 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 just let, let, let him put his feet up because uh, every time he's, he'd attempt to be rested, something's happened. Remember against Australia, because when we rested in the front of early, then that goes down. And then Kitsis got to play. Then against Romania, obviously, he was down to play. Went to, went to Argentina to go play. The least he can do is let the man go watch him for some, some Raider Cup. Some Raider Cup. He needs it. He deserves it. That's the least he can do. Like, he needs some sort of rest. Yeah, I, I would love if Kits. Yes, Kits and Bongi should be having flip-flops for the whole week, honestly. Like, I don't... I don't want to see them having togs in any practice during the course of the week. I think... They, they totally deserve it. Um, Eben probably also probably could do with a bit of rest. I think he there was parts of the game where I was like, oh, maybe he's not 100% fit or back fit um, from the injury that he had against Scotland. So maybe he can also get onto the flip-flop squad. But yeah, I think this week should be just about... The, the main goal for this week is Andre Pollard must just get back into the full swing of Test Rugby. So as many minutes as he can play as possible trying to make sure that he can fall into sort of the Springbok game plan, getting those combinations back with um, Faf de Klaik and Vali LaRue especially. The best result for the Springboks is bonus point win, hopefully with a bit of a score, no injuries, and Andre Pollard looks um, like he can play test rugby again. I think that would be the result. Okay, Cooks, I think let's end it there. Um, yeah, I think just a great weekend of rugby that we've <laughs> broken down for over two hours. Big shout out to, yeah, just... Yeah, like just been great rugby, great discourse as well. And also just a reminder that we are running a promotion with our friends at Classic Shirt South Africa. They are um, selling some replica uh, South Africa supporters jerseys that you can get on their site um, for 10% off if you use the promo, go, promo code um, RugbyBits10. So yeah, please, they, they, they are really good. They're very comfortable. I wore them myself. Um, especially with this winter in Cape Town not seeming to end. They're also quite warm as well. So please um, look into that as well. And yeah, please follow us on our social media channels. And yeah, look out for any of our content um, going forward as, as, as well this week. Cooks, thank you so much for joining. And yeah, I, I hope you are. I hope Cooks will release his list of, um, of, of, of number 10 chefs in this World Cup. No, I think it's my plan for the week. Thanks, Hella. Cheers, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>